3: sense out of what's going on in the world today, and you come to the right. It's a
4: Southern Sense Talk Radio. With your host, Annie, the radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett, and the most
5: interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. You can join the show and let your voice be heard by
4: one 7889-
3: So, sit back, relax, and remember, Southern sense is common sense.
0: Your first impulse? If your answer is run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos of empty shelves. So how do you avoid simple? You use today to make a plan, to prepare the things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. Patriot supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewith centscom or call 888 441 7290 This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to with Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, it's called Southern Sense, in the middle, southern com, and click on the icon for my patron food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290 or go to my website, southern Sense. put a dash in the middle, southern com. Be prepared. Can't All right. Company. Welcome back to another exciting adventure here on Southern Sense. You're listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News W-C-E-T Radio out of Columbia, South Carolina, up an iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, You, The heck with it. You know what I'm going to say. Just put Southern Sense in there on your keyboard and then put a dash in the middle. You have southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the mostest, the radio chickadee. And today we have a special co-host because my normal co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett, is with his family. Member that is uh, not doing very well. And uh, he has to be with his family at the moment. So please keep my co-host Curtis C.S. Bennett in your thoughts and prayers. But my guest co-host sitting next to me. Only the lovable Yanni, my husband, believe it or not. So Yanni, wave to the camera. and Say hi. hi
6: there.
0: You got to use the microphone. <laughs> That's if anyone can hear him. He whispers. Anyway, we've got so lined up today. So much to talk about. We can talk about the convention that just uh, uh, closed last night. Um, but we have great guests. We have Alex McFarland. He is a culture expert. He has a new book uh, coming out. Actually, it came out just this week, I believe. It's called The Assault on America. How to defend our nation before it's too late, matter of fact, I only got the book last I thumbing through it, and it looks fascinating. So once I do read it, I will get him back on because you know, I normally read every single book that before I interview the author, and once in a blue moon, I get a situation where I get the book too late to read, so we will have him back on. Also, another troublemaker, <laughs> yes, he's probably already listening um a friend of Curtis's and mine, Clarence McKee, he also has a new book that just came out actually on the twenty fourth which is up on Amazon already. It's called "How Obama America and How Trump is helping it and that is fascinating. I started going through it, and I got about halfway through. So we'll have to, again, bring them back on when I finish it. Uh, we also have, returning to the show, again, Friends of Curtis's, Bobby and Kai and Michael. And you know them from the Brandon Randolph-Michael Foundation. Uh, Brandon Randolph was their son who was brutally murdered uh, by an illegal alien. I will not even give them the courtesy of immigrant. They are aliens and they are illegal. Uh, and then organization, uh, the Brandon Randolph-Michael Foundation, which you can find at com. but they're also with black voices for Trump, so I'm sure they're going to have a ton to talk about, about the convention comparing Bidens to Trumps, and oh my goodness, if you saw that finale last night, it brought me to tears. Um, I had walked out after Trump did his speech to go into the kitchen to get something. And my mom, God bless her, 88 years old, say uh, continued to watch. And I hear her yelling, Anne Marie, Anne Marie, you got to come back and you got to see this game. Again, she goes, You missed it, you missed it. Thank God for the gift of TiVo. So I tivo back and I saw the fireworks where it, it, it And whoever did the artistry on that was fantastic, followed by. The Metropolitan Opera tenor, uh, Christopher Macchio. Oh, what an angel of a voice. And um, that's going to be followed. Jeez, we've got so much to do today. Followed by Dr. Paul Nathanson. He's an author of multiple books. And he's got, and his book is going to be called Transcending Misandry, From Feminist Ideology to Intersexual Dialogue. And if we look at the epidemic that is far worse than the covid Of these young women transitioning, prepubescent and pubescent girls transitioning from female, natal female to male. It's a sickness out there. It really is no other way to describe it. And he's been out about that as well as rights for men. And we're going to follow up the show. With a member of the Heritage Foundation. He's actually the press secretary for the Heritage Action for America. It's the Heritage Foundation's sister activist organization, Noah Weinrich. So we have a lot to talk about and a lot to do. So welcome. What do you say, Yanni? Do you think we got our hands full today? Well, according to you, I would say so. Uh, oh, wait a minute. I didn't. I did. I do have your microphone up, but you got to get a little bit closer. And Right that way. There we right go. This way. Oh, oh, there we go.
6: Oh, we have a boy.
0: <laughs> You're gonna let me? <laughs> what? <laughs> Just say yes dear. yes, dear. Yes, dear. We'll be happy. <laughs> yes,
6: I can see where to show you.
1: <laughs> oh well.
0: Anyway, I want to welcome everyone that is listening in over on Facebook. I'm starting to get the invites out over there. I'm sorry, a little behind on that one, as well as here on. Um, W.C.E.T. Radio out of uh, Columbia, South Carolina, here on Blog Talk Radio. Um, glad to see everyone here. Okay, that said, no, uh, Doc Curtis is not Philadelphia. They have a family member that is um, critically ill, and uh, he's going to be spending time with them. And hopefully he will be back with us. But our deepest sympathies uh, and prayers go out to him and the family member who was very ill. That um, Those that listen to us know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to police officer Brent Williams Perry Scrimshire. He is from the Hot Springs Police Department out of Arkansas. His end of watch was Tuesday, March 10th of this year. And this is from NTD.com, and it reads, A Hot Springs police officer was shot and killed while conducting a traffic stop in Arkansas on March 10th. The Hot Springs Police Department said 33-year-old officer Brent Scrimshire was struck by gunfire at approximately 6.30 p.m. at Kenwood Street. Public information officer for the department Joey Williams had said in a statement on Facebook. The suspect was also Williams said, adding that the name, condition, and motive of the shooter are not being released. Officer Scrimshire, an eight-year veteran of the department, was taken to a local hospital where he succumbed to his injuries. We ask for prayers for our family and for our officer, Williams said in the statement. Scrimshire was presented the Year Award in 2016 by Arkansas Attorney General Leslie Rutledge, HOTSR reported. My heart breaks for the family of Officer Brents killed in the line of duty. I had the honor of meeting him in 2016 when I awarded him the Regional Officer of the Year for his services and willingness to go above and beyond for his community, Rutledge tweeted a photo of her presenting Scrimshire the award. Condolences poured in from across the state and country on social media. Thank everyone for the outpouring of love and support from everyone during this trying time, Hot Springs Police Department wrote on Facebook. Police said Scrimshire's unit had been parked in front of the police station for anyone in the community wanting to leave memorials and pay their respects. Officer Governor William Asa Hutchinson said his prayers are with his family, the Hot Springs Police Department, and the entire law enforcement community. Governor Asa Hutchinson posted on Twitter, I am deeply saddened to learn that Hot Springs Police Officer Brent Scrimshire was shot and killed in the line of duty last night. Our prayers are with his family, the Hot Springs Police Department, and the entire law enforcement community. Department Chief Terrence Monahan said on Twitter that Scrimshire's death is another reminder of the dangers police face every day. The Federal Bureau of Investigation Little Rock wrote on Twitter that the staff are shocked and heartbroken. We mourn along our Hot Springs PD partners and we offer our most sincere thoughts and prayers for Officer Scrimshire's family and friends. Rest in peace, Officer Scrimshire. Hashtag hero, the department tweeted. Scrimshaw is the first Hot Springs police officer killed in the line of duty since February of 1996 when officer Chris Anderson was shot during a warrant service according to Hot SR. And this is from Hot An honor guard takes the casket bearing Hot Springs Police Officer First Class Brent Scrimshaw into the Hot Springs Convention Center. Hundreds of law enforcement personnel, friends, and the general public gathered in the Hot Springs Convention Center for the visitation and funeral services for fallen Hot Springs Police Officer First Class, Brent Scrimshire, who was killed in the line of duty on March 10th. Today our hearts are heavy and we lay to rest an incredible young man an honor Officer Brent Scrimshire and the ultimate sacrifice he made for his community. But we must also remember Brent the person. And the sacrifices he made every day to be the best husband, best father, son, brother, uncle, and friend he could be, Arkansas Attorney General Leslie Rutledge said during the service. Rutledge said she had the privilege of meeting Scrimshire in 2016 when naming him the Southwest Regional Officer of the Year. But now, our Brent is a recipient of a much greater award, one of... a those words we all hope to hear well done my good friend and faithful servant she said rutledge read a bible passage from john chapter 15 greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends while our blue family's heart has skipped a beat again she said i know it will continue to be strong every single day to fulfill what each were called to do and to honor the sacrifice and memory of Officer Brent Scrimshire, who was taken from us way too soon, and those whose watch ended too early. Brings Police Chief Jason Satchi said Scrimshire's enthusiasm and devotion for his family and friends was, quote, legendary. The connections he forged with the people he loved and the people he served wasn't due to some nice guy character trait. It was simply ingrained in his DNA, Stachy said. It wasn't just a small part of who he appeared to be. It was who he was. To the family, to those who knew him, and even those who only briefly encountered him, Brent was an exemplary human being. He said one of the things that made Screenshire unique, both on and off the job, is that he believed in the virtues of goodness and peace, even at the risk of sacrifice. His goal was to balance the scale of justice through service, kindness, and benevolence, Statue said. Galatians 5.13 tells us all to serve one another humbly in love, and that's exactly what Brent did. Although this was not the envisioned ending of Scrimshire's life, Stachy said, strive to serve and live like he did. I don't think, I don't see you, my family and friends today, Statue read. Trust me. This was in God's plan the day I went away. I walked the walk. I took the chance. I wouldn't take it back. I enjoyed the dance. There will always be my family in blue, and there are no regrets. Hold my wife, my babies, and my family. Never let them forget. We all have fear when we leave our homes from the safety there within. If I had it to do all over, yes, I would do it again. God has a reason for everything. I know this is hard to understand. But I knew the reason he had for me when Jesus took my hand. Keep your heads up and try and dry those tears. I will see you all again in the coming years. I went through the gates I ran. He welcomed me with open arms. And he said, Here, A hero stands. Hot Springs Mayor Pat McCabe read a proclamation that declares March 16, 2020, as Officer First Class Brent Scrimshaw Day in Hot Springs. Quote, Brent William Perry Scrimshaw was born April 13, 1986 in Melbourne, Arkansas. To Bill and Anne Scrimshaw, the proclamation read he graduated from Malvern High School in 2004 and Henderson State University in 2009, whereas Brent joined the Hot Springs Police on December 31, 2012. According to the proclamation, Scrimshire excelled in every aspect of his job, earning recognition in 2013 Hot Springs Police Department Rookie of the Year, 2016 Southwest Arkansas Officer of the Year, and Garland County Police Officer of the Year was twice named Hot Springs Police Officer of the Quarter. Brett was reputable and honest policeman. It continues, he had a strong affinity towards people, and they were drawn to him. He was warm and friendly and dedicated to protect and serve. With fellow officers knowing him as Scrim, according to the proclamation, Scrim Spire- Shire I'm sorry. Scrimshire cared for them, offering them advice on how to handle challenging situations. Brent loved telling stories, cooking, and entertaining at reeds. He was an avid outdoorsman. He enjoyed hunting, fishing, and driving his jet boat. Brent absolutely loved life. Whereas Brent was a loving and loyal husband to his wife, Rachel, father to his two beautiful children, Wyatt and River he was a son, a brother, and an uncle. He was a friend to all of his brothers and sisters in blue. In conclusion, the proclamation states, Scrimshire will surely be missed by all those who knew them, but he will never be forgotten. The service was concluded with the audio recording of an officer completing a ceremonial end of watch call. Dispatch to Officer Scrimshire. Scrim. Your watch has ended. We'll take it from here. Thank you for your courage, honor, and dedication to the community and the mark you left on it. Your end of watch, March 10th, 2020. Today's show is dedicated to Officer Scrimshire. It is also dedicated to all of those brave men and women who serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighter, or emergency responders. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women who serve in the military from the birth of this nation through today and into its wonderful future. We dedicate this song by Todd Allen Herndon. May God bless each and every one.
3: I fought for my liberty. I paid with the blood of my people. Freedom has never been free. Now my door's open.
0: And we are back. You're here listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR, Media, The Lone Star, Daily News, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook. Oh, the heck with it. W-C-E-T up in Columbia, South Carolina. Just two. Oh, well, you know what I'm going to say next. Just go to the name of the show, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle, southern com. Of course, I'm your hostess with the most assistive radio check Annie. And my co-host today is growling behind me. <laughs> it's my husband, Yanni. So, Yanni, wave and say hi. Hi. I'm, <laughs> I'm <wrecking> the computer. <laughs> I'm trying to get him to send the invites out. To uh, people up on uh, Facebook, <laughs> he's having a hard time. He's someone who doesn't even know how to text on the phone. <laughs> my poor hubby. <laughs> oh man. Oh geez. Yes, uh, Doug. Yeah, I was tearing oh, up in the salute. And <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he's my poor, my poor baby. He doesn't know what he's doing. Come on, let's get this no back up. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we're waiting for our guest to call in, Alex McFarland. Um, he's got himself a new book out called The Assault on America, and he should be calling in very, very shortly. So i got to keep an eye on the studio <laughs> while my poor husband gets frustrated. But um, I'll tell you what. I, I don't know how many of you out there actually watched all uh, four days of the Republican convention. I know I can only stand one day at the Democrat convention before I reach for the barf bag. I don't think I even managed to stay through the whole <laughs> event, one-day event. Um, but the the, the uh, oh contrast between the Republicans and the Democratic convention is absolutely startling. But of course, you know, the Democrats couldn't be satisfied with you know just saying, "All right, fine, you had yours, we had ours." The vitriol, the comments, uh, the nastiness that came out, everything from uh, trashing Melania when she came forward and was talking about the opioid ap- epidemic and talking about people getting out there and helping the community and the violence has to stop. No, no, no. They don't say how wonderful the first lady was to be so community minded and so aware and have her thumb on the pulse of the problems we have in America and actually work towards solving them. But this, this is really um, Trump had the naturalization ceremony um, on one of the days and it was great to see you know different people from all over the world embracing america and american values and instead of you know cheering on legal immigrants who have become american citizens they they were marine marines appeared on camera during the naturalization ceremony and they go oh this is this is you know, a breach of this, and yeah, you know, the Marines should not have been there and participating in the ceremony. You know that's not what they're there for. Um, according to the Hill, two Marines who appeared in the video that aired on Tuesday night at the Republican National Convention were on official duty at the time when the footage was filmed. Marines stand guard at our house, the White House They are there 24-7 guarding And wherever the president goes, there is a Marine guard That is their job But they're saying that uh, they weren't supposed to be there How dare they show up The Marines in the footage of the ceremony at the White House Were assigned in their assigned place of duty so they have no say about where the president decides to go in the White House and where he decides to hold a ceremony. They're not given a choice. You're told, this is your post, this is where you stand. But the Democrats thought that that was a breach. breach. You know, they shouldn't have been there. There should be an investigation over why they appeared in uniform, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you know, anything they can pick on, anything they can say to criticize this president, they will do. I mean, it is Ridiculous. Isn't it, Yanni? After the... Um, you got to talk into the Sorry. <clears throat> after the... Um, little co- oh, whoop. Let's get your bar up. There we go. Try it again.
5: <laughs> well, after the... Um,
6: you're, n- they-
0: you're not being picked up. I don't yeah. know why. Well, anyway, let's. we got our guest in on the line. Let me bring in Alex.
6: Yeah,
0: go Okay. On. As I'm waiting for the computer to generate. Good afternoon, and welcome to Southern Sense. Alex McFarland, this is your hostess with the most the radio chick, Annie. How are you doing today?
2: Well, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: It is our pleasure. Uh, you're a first-time guest of the show, and you've got a new book coming out called "The Assault on America: How to Defeat Our Nation." How to defend? I'm not sorry. Defeat, defend. Boy, is that a Freudian slip? <laughs>
3: our nation before okay, okay,
0: yeah. <laughs> Man, if I can We're mess up a what? defeat it. Not what, yeah, we yeah. want to defend it. Uh, tell us about the book. I you know I only got the um, the PDF of it last night, so there really was no chance for me to read it uh, to go over through it. But I did go through and do a quick speed read of the chapters and everything. And never before do we need something like this, like your book, because as I was speaking, you know the the Democrats are picking on every little possible thing in the Republican convention they saw from Melania speaking out about the violence going in our nation, about the opioid epidemic, to Marines being on their normal duty station, on guard duty, when the naturalization uh, ceremony was held. Any little thing to, to try to cause a problem, we need to defend our values here.
2: We really do, and, and again, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I really appreciate that. And uh, in fact, uh, I've got some good news. I just, um, even as I was coming to call you and, and get on the program, uh, I just left the studio from the publisher. I'm in Pennsylvania. We were doing some promotional videos, and we just, literally minutes ago, got word that Barnes and Noble is buying uh, a fairly large quantity of this book. And which, for me as an author, that's a really That's a a really big thing uh, that Barnes & Noble would would want to carry this book. But I think a lot of people like yourself and like myself, uh, we're concerned
0: for this country.
2: And, you know, I love America. I really do. It's been my privilege uh, as a professor and as a minister to travel to much of the world. I've uh, been to developing nations and third world countries. And, uh, you know, America's not perfect whenever you have – You know, sinful fallen human beings You're not going to have a perfect world But I will tell you The United States has been a great place And part of what made this country great Was our moral foundation And part of the the reason That the Democrat Party Has really been so You know, family, uh, marriage uh, Lawfulness uh, Just morality in general And yes, God and Christianity—they've fought against all those things because they have wedded themselves to a worldview, uh, a viewpoint that says, "Look, there's no rules. I'll just do whatever I want to do," and uh, that's just not the way we were founded. That's certainly not a healthy way to live. And and I say in the book, "The Assault on America: What We Must Do to Defend Our Country," that um, we we must have a restoration of of family, morals, and, and yes, God, church, Christianity. Uh, we need those things or the nation will further unravel. Well,
0: you know, before this COVID pandemic broke out, um, there was an unceasing amount of attacks upon our faith, from the Little Sisters of the Poor um, to mm-hmm. mandating um, Uh, contraceptives and abortion in uh, facilities that are religious based um, to having our sidewalk preachers being silenced. You know, I I was holding one of my tea party meetings uh, about a year ago. And one of my members said it has gotten so bad that when she had to go to court for whatever, and the case was dismissed, she explained once the judge wrapped the gavel and said, case dismissed, she says, thank God. And the judge reprimanded her for declaring God's name in his courtroom. He goes, there's no place for that. And yet we swear an oath on the Bible when we go to testify that we will speak the whole truth and nothing but the the truth, so help me God. And yet this judge had the audacity to say there's no place for God in in his courtroom. Excuse me, what part of the First Amendment does he fail to understand?
2: Wow, uh, that, that is a powerful story and, and frankly shocking. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you bring up the First Amendment because the First Amendment has been so misused to attack religious expression. Now, the First Amendment contains this phrase that Congress will make no law regarding the establishment of religion. And even though the, the, the founders of the country – Were overtly explicitly Christian And I can prove that Uh, The founders' dominant Overwhelming Faith of the founders And really up until The mid-20th century Overwhelmingly the majority faith And certainly the perspective That birthed America Was Christianity Uh, But the First Amendment The the Non-establishment Clause that the government will not show preferential treatment to any one religion has been used by the left to really amount to the abolition of morality. Now, when I speak at universities and over the last 20 years, I've, I've spoken or debated or done Q&A at over 200 colleges in America. And, and I'll say, well, you know, um, transgenderism is really impossible that a genetic male cannot become a genetic female. Or marriage is, by definition, necessarily between a man and a woman. Or abortion is wrong. Uh, what quickly professors and students will say is, ah uh, ah uh, uh you can't impose your religion. So here's one distinction I make in the book that we really need to assert and articulate. Religion and morality are two different things. Part of the reason that we have this lawlessness in the street and the, the inability to bring order, um, the, the neutrality of the government toward religion by the First Amendment has really morphed into the abolition of all moral boundaries. And so uh, we're, we're to the point where if, if you say abortion is wrong and abortion is unconstitutional, they'll say, well, you can't enforce your religion on me. No, it's not religion. It's, it's morality. Now, what the founders would say over and over if you read the, the founding documents and, and the Federalist Papers and uh, the sentiment of the, the people that framed the longest-standing constitution in world history, they would talk about what they call natural law. Jefferson expressed it in the Declaration as self-evident truth. We hold these truths to be self-evident. The laws of nature and nature's God and self-evident truth and natural law, was, was? let's just call it morals. And the Constitution was written to guard the the moral rights that all people have. Now, what happened in the mid-20th century was law philosophy moved from – A legal view based on natural rights to a legal view based on case law or precedent So when you don't have objective natural rights, you can be very vulnerable to special manufactured rights Like the right to an abortion that's not a natural right. That's a, a, an artificially constructed right. They said in 1973, they said, well, a woman has a right to privacy. And so whatever she does in private is moral. So, in the privacy of her own decision making, she can decide to abort the baby. So, by that logic, we ought to come and say, well, look, if I rob a bank, but I do it in private, do I have a right to do that? You know, um, Privacy could be a Pandora's box that could give any of us whatever aberrant, destructive right we want to demand. Um, The right to gay marriage in 2015. Now, uh, transgenderism, which as of a recent SCOTUS decision, is now classed as an ethnicity. Uh, Once we've cut ourselves loose from the solid ground of Moral truth We're adrift in a sea of just Preferences and opinions And in the book By the way um, I, I've shared This kind of content where I talk about natural law uh, And I, In the audience in Alabama Texas and North Carolina I've had men and women come up that were district Attorneys who said oh my goodness You have to preach this Alex I'm a DA I'm a Christian The district attorneys Will say uh, we're going to lose our country if we don't re-familiarize ourselves with moral truth. And uh, I've had attorneys ask me, oh, my goodness, where did you go to law school? I Well, I didn't go to law school. I, I have a degree in school? philosophy. Yeah, I went to God school. Exactly. And, and so, listen, when we assert moral boundaries, we're not hating on anybody. We're not phobic on anybody. We're not. Um, This is how you have what we did have for 242 years up until recently, a well-ordered, stable, safe, prosperous society. The Democrats are fighting against all that. Um, I I think I know some of the reasons why. I don't know all the reasons why. But I would say this to your listeners. And and by the way, I cannot thank you enough for letting me be on. There might be a listener, and they say, well, gee, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a religious person. I would argue this. Even the atheist has a vested interest in America being a place of morals. Because, look, morality is like gravity. Uh, It's there whether you know it or not. And even if you're not a believer – uh, and I, I wish everybody would be a believer. I want everybody to know Christ. But even if you're not a believer, um, the society is, is better for everybody if we have morals and boundaries, not anarchy, not lawlessness.
0: So, well, Alex, you, to- you've covered so many you've covered so many points that yeah. You know, somewhere along the way, we got to start to break these down a little bit because you're, you're talking about morals, and I always. I always explain it to people this way. What is the difference between an ethical man and a moral man? An ethical man knows it's wrong to cheat on his wife. A moral man will not cheat on his wife. And this is the battle we have in our society. Someone who knows whatever they're going to be doing, will it, because it feels good to them, even though they know morally it's wrong, they're going to do it anyway, which we are seeing in our society, for those of us who have the morals to say, no, we will not behave in that way.
2: That's beautiful. That is, I, I, I've never heard that illustration. That is a brilliant way to convey that. Uh, very, very good. And, you know, we um, – l- let me just say this. When we're talking about morals, it's interesting. If you go to the Capitol, uh, all over the Capitol and our governmental buildings, you'll see references to the Decalogue. And they're, they're one, one courtroom, and the doors are like these big, like three and a half feet wide, four, uh, four feet wide, eight feet tall. Uh, they look like the tablets of the Ten Commandments. And around the rotunda of the Capitol, you'll see Moses. And a lot of the great lawgivers of history. And so when I've spoken at universities, and and I'll talk about, you know, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not uh, steal. Um, Sometimes professors and students, they'll say, well, who are you to, you know, make up these moral boundaries? See, here's the thing that is so unique, and, and I think it points to the reality of a creator. It has been well documented that societies throughout history, from the, the ancient society, the Egyptians, the Sumerians, up uh, through Asians, uh, Greeks, you know, the you know, pre-Europeans, look, all throughout history have had this awareness of a moral code. Um, it, it's not uh, always observed, but it is known. Now, the Bible says when the Gentiles, who did not have the laws of God, they instinctively did the things prescribed by the law, showing that the law of God was written on their heart. And um, C.S. Lewis wrote about this. More recently, a um, political science professor from University of Texas at Austin Jay Budziszewski, Marvin Alasky, Ph.D. from Harvard, who's now a Christian, has written about this, that humans everywhere have this moral awareness. So the skeptics will say, well, you just invented this. You just arbitrarily dreamed this up. No, it's objectively true. And one of the things that made America so great was that for the first time in history – Maybe it could be said the second time in history because Israel under King Solomon was peaceful and prosperous. In America, we had good civil government, a representative republic, wedded to the moral code, yes, written on every heart, but also expressed in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Now, quickly, again, the skeptic will say, well, you're, you're establishing religion. No. I believe in Christianity, I, religion, and church. We need it. But I'm just talking about morals. And um, let, let me say, a lot of the professors that are not so much educating our children but really programming our children. And, again, I mean, I've been, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Um, a lot of the professors, <laughs> I
6: think we all do, are
2: very, yeah. I, I mean, they, they, with with almost rage, they push back against the idea of any moral boundaries. Um, and why that is 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 a, another conversation entirely. But but I would say to moms and dads listening. Uh, Unless your son or daughter goes to a solidly Christian university, and there are some wonderful Christian universities, but I can promise you, I mean, having spoken at more than 200 American colleges, having interviewed literally hundreds of students and professors, some believers, some not, I can promise you, public education in America – As Ben Shapiro says, I interviewed Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro said, "Public education has become on America and God."
0: And
6: it's it's full indoctrination.
0: There's there's no other way to explain public education. Full indoctrination. You know, I'm I'm here in South Carolina. We're at the University of South Carolina, and a number of years ago, they decided to have this weekend course for women. And how to become a lesbian in three days. Now, this was a college course. Well, a bunch of our conservative organizations here in South Carolina went completely up in arms. And within a matter of two days, we had our state legislator going to the college and saying, you cannot use public funds, our funds, to teach this course. You disband this course, no way will we be paying for this. And they yanked the course. The power of our voice for those who stand on that moral ground is so important. And I'll give you another case in point. We just finished a decade-long battle here, our church, against the National Episcopal Church. And it was a series of of 16 of us that had entered into a covenant with them back in the 60s. And we put our property in trust. Well, when we saw that the Episcopal Church liberal, and in allowing gay marriages and other things that were going on that is against our faith. It's like, all right, I have no problem if you want to be married and you're gay, but go to a church that will do the ceremony. Don't mandate that we do it, which our government has been forcing us to do. And we broke apart. The bishop of that branch of the Episcopal Church here in South Carolina turned around and said to us, I will see your church turned into a mosque. Our church was founded in 1712. It survived the Civil War. It survived the Re- the, uh, the Revolutionary War and the Civil War. It still stands today. And we finally, just weeks ago, won our court battle. And we get to stand wow. on our moral ground. And this is what we need our nation to do. People like you to speak out and stand on that moral ground.
2: Wow, wow. You know, uh, God bless you. Listen, uh, this is the first time you and I have had the pleasure of, of conversing, and uh, I really like you. I, I hear that passion <laughs> you. in your voice. We, we've <laughs> got to cultivate the friendship here. But do you, you know I've heard that? And let me, I'm, I'm going to very quickly give a little bit of backstory. Folks, um, l- let me say this when God does a great work, very often, Satan comes in the back door to do a counteroffensive. Okay, in 1517, there was what we call the Reformation. And throughout Europe, the gospel was rediscovered and preached, and there was uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin and a man named Zwingli, and there was a man in the Netherlands named Menno Simons. And all of these guys, they were preaching the gospel, and, and a, a wave of Christianity spread throughout Europe, and uh, that was 500 years ago. Well, in the late 1700s, there was a guy in Germany named Friedrich Schleiermacher, uh, rather unusual name, but uh, Schleiermacher basically wrote about the Bible is not the Word of God, and they call Schleiermacher the father of German liberalism. So in the very same place where there had been a great revival of God, about 200 you years. It later, oh I'm sorry. In well, yeah. in in the same place where there had been a great revival of God, two hundred years later, along comes uh liberalism that says the Bible is not the word of God. Well this this spread throughout Europe. By the mid nineteenth century, Darwin, who was influenced by Schleiermacher, Darwin writes Origin of Species And God didn't create us, we evolved. So you've got all in the space of, you know, 50, 75 years, you've got a dismissal of the Bible. You've got a rejection of God, the creator. By the dawn of the 20th century, you've got the first uses of the word postmodernism. Actually, by the 20s, 1920s, uh, European intellectuals were talking about we are in the postmodern era. We no longer believe in God. We no longer accept the Bible. We weren't created. We evolved, and there is no moral code. We just the bishop, the bishop that said he would see your church turned into a mosque. I oh, can almost sheet. predict. Oh, okay. It was a sheep Oh, okay. Well, I, I <laughs> it's can sheet almost where we predict. From. She probably went to grad school in the 70s or early 80s, and I'm sure she probably was taught that Moses did not write the first five books of the Bible, that Isaiah uh, never existed, that Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. And listen, I've walked horns with more than a few of these denominational liberals, and They don't believe Christianity is unique. I mean, Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, Wake Forest, which is a traditionally Baptist school. uh, I had a student that was having a faith crisis. He was in an ethics class at Wake Forest, and the professor told the class that he didn't even believe in God. Now, why would a Baptist school employ an ethics professor that was an agnostic? Yeah, you know, no I, I think about. Yeah, okay. Furman <laughs> University. The point, they had in, no ethics. <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> um, while we're talking about South Carolina, Furman University. Okay. Eight years ago, a group of students at Furman contacted our ministry, and they said, "We want to have a speaker. Er, er, different student groups get to pick a speaker to speak in chapel." And uh, would you help us get someone to address creation versus evolution? So I called a friend of mine who has a Ph.D. in geology from Oxford University, and he's a Christian. His name is Dr. Terry Mortensen. And um, all the student groups got to pick convocation speakers. Well, one gay student group at Furman, again, a school built with Baptist money, uh, there had been a gay poet. Came to speak in convocation And uh, I'm not going to tell you The name of his book he was promoting Because it was it was very Profane So this student group called me And they said thank you for getting this Geologist to come speak About his belief in creation Well there was a petition All these professors said um, We will not allow our students To sit under somebody who questions Darwinian evolution well, the Greenville, the Greenville News and Record called and they said, the professors at Furman don't want this guy to speak because he's he's not scholarly. I said, really? He has a Ph.D. in geology from Oxford. I said, um, I, I guess to say Oxford is not scholarly, that would offend some of your other professors with their degrees from Oxford. Oh, wait, you don't have any. Uh, so anyway, they would not let this guy speak. Uh, we did at 7 p.m. after hours, they gave us a classroom that would seat about 30 people, and although hundreds showed up. And while a Christian non-evolutionist with a PhD in geology from Oxford spoke, professors picketed outside with signs saying Darwinian evolution is true, creation is false. And I think okay, this is a Baptist school, or at least it was. And um, Jesus Christ affirmed the book of Genesis. Jesus quoted Genesis. Jesus said Moses wrote. And I think about these people. One day they're going to stand before God, and, and they defended Darwin but rejected Scripture. Um, how's that going to work for you when you stand before God one day? You know? So we need some Leaders, some elected officials, some academics, some pastors, some religious denominational leaders with some courage and some conviction. Part of where we are, and and let me say, I, I believe in education, but I believe in education that is the pursuit of truth, not the enforcement of ideology.
0: Well, Alex, unfortunately, you, 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 your mic or your phone keeps on breaking up in and out. Um, but I, before you go, I want to repeat that you, you have a book that's coming out that people can get. It's called The Assault on America, How to Defend Our Nation. Defend, I said it right this time, uh, before it's too late. I want to leave you with a story. Um, I had gone to Trump's inauguration, and we were literally just blocks behind the Capitol. What a beautiful sight that was. But unfortunately, when we were leaving, they had that woman's demonstration going on at the same time. So we had to actually, they were actually walking in front of where we were staying. So we had to kind of like weave through the crowd to get the car packed. And as I'm seeing this, I see women wearing the signs that say, my body, my choice. And they said to one woman, because I never keep my mouth shut. <laughs> oh, heaven forbid! And I said, well, what about that unborn body in you who gives... My girlfriend's grabbing me by the arm. And then in comes a minister, collar and all, walking with these women that says, My body, my choice. And I turned around and says, Shame on you. How dare you? The Lord said to us, I knew you in the womb, and you're going to deny that life the Lord has given? And of course, by that point, my (laughs) girlfriend is yanking me into the car. But we have to speak up. We can't be shy. And that's the problem we have as conservatives, as Christians. We, we are accustomed to going along, getting along, to get our, go to work, take care of our family, earn enough money to, to take care of the ones we love, to live and practice our faith in peace. And we're not accustomed to standing up and fight. But we've got to do this at this point in time. It is time for us to stand up and fight. And I think because we have the president in the White House that we do, people are finding their voice. And I'm glad I can get your voice out there, and you've got to come back on the show more often, and we've got a lot to talk about, so much to talk about, to help voice everyone's love of God, want of faith, and wanting to bring this republic back to where our founding fathers started to guide us. Amen. Amen.
2: And again, my new book is called The Assault on America. It's available at Barnes & Noble and online. And I thank you so much. I, I want to come back when I'm in my studio, and it'll be a clearer connection.
0: All right. And people can also find you. The name of your website is your name, AlexMcFarland, AlexMcFarland.com. Thank you so much, and God bless you for the hard work you do.
2: Thank you, sister. God bless you, my friend.
0: All right. Take care. All right. Check out his website, AlexMcFarland.com. And we have waiting very quietly in the sidelines one of our show's favorite guests. And I'm just going to flatter you and butter you up. Welcome back, Clarence McKee. How are you doing, Clarence? How are you doing today? Can you hear me? Yes, I got you, baby doll. Unfortunately, Curtis is not with us. He's up with his family in Philadelphia, and his mom's not doing all too well. So, again, our our prayers and love go out to uh, Curtis and his family. So, instead, sitting shyly on the sidelines in my studio, I have my husband, Yanni. So, Yanni. The lucky man.
4: (laughs) The lucky man.
0: going <laughs> to go into the microphone. Curtis, this shoes a hard fill. <laughs> I don't know Pardon? if anyone can hear Yanni. I don't know if – oh, no wonder why I didn't turn this mic up. Try it again, Yanni. Okay. <laughs> the typical wife who shut the mic off on the husband.
4: <laughs> huh. well, it's a great pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for the invitation and the honor.
0: Oh, it is. It's my honor. I've got about a little close to halfway through your book. I haven't finished the whole thing yet, but I've got notes galore. You've got a new book that just came out just four days ago, August uh, 24th. It's called How Obama Failed Black America and How Trump is Helping It. Man, okay. what a time to release this. I mean, after watching the, uh, the convention, Democrats versus Republicans, what a Perfect launch for your book. I mean it, it fell in with exactly what every last speaker in the Republican Convention was talking about. I think it on just about every point you.
4: Hello. Did I lose
0: your clearance? Yeah. Okay, I now you. I got you. right here. you faded away for a minute. Oh. Oh, good luck. Hello? I hope I'm I'm in my studio, so I hope nothing's fading here. Jeez. Hello. Yeah, I'm here too, can, can you hear me? I got I can hear you Yeah, I got I can hear you very clear. Okay, good. Yeah, you're coming through, baby. Good, good, good. And now I was bragging on your book and how it falls directly into what all the Republicans were talking about at the convention all week.
4: hmm I tell you, I, you know, I I liked that convention and um, it, it was like a breath of fresh air compared to the uh, foul air coming out of the Democrat convention and this book kind of highlights what everything is about. You know, uh, as you said, how Obama failed America, and we really could call it how Obama-Biden failed black America and how Trump helped it. And it's not only the economy and jobs where I'll get into that, but the key point here on the cover of that book, I have the three of the most beautiful little black kids, and they represent what this is all about and what this country's all about and what the president's all about. If you look at those three kids... Yeah. And you compare Obama, and you compare uh, him to uh, what the president's doing, I key in a three issues in this book. Um, school choice, abortion, uh, and sanctity of life, and urban revitalization. You look at those three kids, under the Democrats, and under the Biden and the Harrises; they're going to be in the pocket of
0: Planned Parenthood. Yes? You keep on in it out. You're on a cell phone?
4: No, I'm on a landline.
0: Oh, wow, that's weird. Then there must be a problem I mean, uh, with well. the connections here because our previous guest did the same thing, too. I mean, I'm wondering if this tropical storm is messing up with our phone system here in the South. So you know, go oh. on, baby. We're, we're okay. going <laughs> um, to Uh a, uh kind.
4: Abortion. I might say this book was endorsed by uh, uh, Dr. Um, Alveda King and Lieutenant Colonel Oliver uh, or um, Alan West. Now, Over one-third of the black babies in this country, um, of the abortions in this country, are black babies, okay? Uh, That's ridiculous. It's disgusting, and it's shameful. Uh, And I must say um, to those people who say I'm against uh, Obama, uh, I'm against him and it was against him because of his policies. I had high hopes, as did many black Americans, that he would address the issues as a black man uh, that faced black America, but he did not, not at all. And like on abortion, he just ignored yeah. it totally. Right, was in the pocketbook, yeah, a lot of money, and the pocket of Planned Parenthood. The other issue these kids represent on the cover: school choice. Barack Obama was totally in the hat pocket of the teachers unions, and they oppose school choice, as does Biden. Donald Trump is so pro-choice; um, he mentioned it last night in his speech. He wants everybody in this country, every family, to have the right to go to the school of their choice, not be trapped in these poor inner city schools uh, with the teachers' union. And that's another big thing these kids represent. And then, of course, criminal justice reform. So many black kids are raised in single family, single parent homes. And you know what happened with Mr. Biden and his crime bill? A lot of black men went to jail, leaving their kids all alone in their families kind of destitute what the president did and why trump is benefiting america on this issue is he passed and worked hard on the first step act that reduced prison sentences of people who were there on minor uh, drug offenses and thus far annie 93 percent of those who have been released from jail and since that act came into being about two and a half three years ago have been black men so it's a huge Huge thing, criminal justice reform. Obama did nothing in urban affairs. He was there eight years. He had a Democratic House and Senate in his first two, did nothing on urban revitalization and nothing on criminal justice reform. And that's why I say he's benefiting black America. Don't even talk about um, (laughs) jobs. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have done so well pre-pandemic, 5.6 percent Unemployment of Black Americans historic, historic just before this pandemic, and by the way, the economy is starting to come back even with it pandemic, and Black unemployment uh, is starting to go down again. But that's a key area, jobs that he has so far outpaced Obama in. And what people don't want to talk about is the other issue that affects these little kids is illegal immigration. You know, Democrats and Biden and Obama. Open borders, let everybody come in. What's that going to do? Low-income people, Americans, black and brown, are the ones who are hurt by illegal immigration. You know, low-skilled workers? You know, I'm not going to say it, but you go into some hotels in this country, and no one, you can't understand a lot of folks, you don't, you don't even see any black people anymore. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing because the people need jobs, but the point is illegal immigration hurts low-income And low skilled workers. He did nothing, Obama, to stem the tide of illegals pouring into this country, and it's devastating. It encouraged it. You know, you talk about all these kids coming across the border, the parents are sending them to the United States. It's because the Democrats and Obama encouraged it. They said, we're not going to deport kids. Uh, And the President of the United States, as he said last night, has done a great job in cutting back on illegal immigration and getting rid of uh, people who come here and take jobs from Americans. And by you the know, way, the book, important. you go to Amazon.com and put in Clarence McKee, and you will get the book.
6: <laughs>
4: Still there, any? <Annie? laughs> no. Oh, okay. <Here>. Yeah. okay.
0: <laughs> no, um, I was going to mention that uh, he, Trump had, not Trump, Biden had at his uh, convention this little girl, that came over and was talking about how her mom boarded and how nasty and evil Trump was for deporting, breaking up the family and this and that. Now on our next guest, uh, the Michaels, I had, here we go. I got it. Cause I put it underneath their thing. 11 uh, year old Florida girl whose mother was deported. Uh, she did a two minute video. Estella told her family story, how her mom arrived as a teen, worked hard, paid taxes, married her father, who happened to have been a naturalized citizen and served as a Marine. And oh, how nasty and evil that President Trump deported mom. And then when you start to delve into the truth behind it, uh, this woman came over. She was not just a teenager. She was 19 years old. She got caught as soon as she came over the border, was deported. And then a short time later, about a month or so later, she comes back over the border and she managed to stay. She was here illegally, not as a little kid, but as an adult, I'm sorry, you're 19, you're an adult, you're an emancipated adult, and you're here illegally. She goes ahead. Um, she has a criminal record. Uh, they finally catch up with her, but under tr- uh, laws that were put in place under Clinton and enforced under Biden and Trump. Now, her deportation was initiated under Biden and Trump. So suddenly now, her dad votes for President Trump, and then all of a sudden she gets deported No. Her paperwork was already in process and a bureaucrat somewhere in some back office said, oh, it's her time. Her time is up. Time to go. It doesn't matter that it's under Trump. He had nothing to do with it. But yet when you you look at the story they put out there, oh, woe is me and how nasty he is. He broke up this this innocent family. He's against immigration. No, he's against illegal aliens. People that are
6: are,
3: are
0: committed felony, even though she was not convicted, she still had charges against her as a felon, and the law was enforced. What's wrong with that? What, what is so bad about that now? And,
4: you know, they want to give people who are illegal, come here and give them free education. I think, well uh, oh, Ms. Harris and Mr. Biden support giving free health care, free education to illegal immigrants. And we've got people in this country, black, white, brown, who need help on their own health care. And people think you're getting something for nothing under these socialists. Uh, Not really, because if you want to take all that government health care they want to give you, they're going to get rid of, and Harris admitted it, Camilla Harris, they're going to get rid of your private health insurance. Millions upon millions of people would lose their private health insurance. And I'm telling you, it would be devastating. How many people work for Blue Cross and Blue Shield around this country and 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 all these other companies? Problem is, Annie, there are not many shows like yours that tell the truth, especially on television and cable. They lie to the people, and thank heavens, America's waking up. And they're just now noticing all this violence, which two cable networks didn't show. It was disgraceful what happened yesterday. So you make a very, very good point, but no one's telling our side of the story, and that's why we need you and southern sense and uh, outlets like
0: this. <laughs> well, it's funny because you know CNN was putting up there the, uh, the the disruption or the protest they had in Kenosha, and he's standing in front of a building that was just trashed and burnt. And the fire really? going on behind ah. it. We have a fiery protest going on, but it's peaceful. <laughs> Yo, dude, what do you call going on behind you? They looted that store, and then they burned it down. So you've got theft, destruction of, of property, and arson, and that's peaceful protest, mister? That's your exactly. CNN. You the, cl- the criminal news network.
4: I tell you, in the media, you know, I, you remember, I think it was about three weeks ago, this big Gallup poll that came out saying that, was it 80% of the people in this country don't trust the media and they think they're politically slanted? It's very, very true. It's a shame. And Another thing that the media lies about and Democrats is, oh, the racial division. If you look at old Biden's, I don't say old Biden. If you look at Biden's um, ads and commercials and interviews recently, all the country racially divided. There was no bigger racial divider in this country than Barack Obama and his attorney general. Every time it counted, he brought up the race card. Oh, if I had a kid, he looked like Travon Martin all those kind of things. And if he didn't get what he wanted, his attorney general, who was black, would come out and say, well, my gosh, it's because he's black. And the lies that they spread and helped to foster, and the Democrats are fostering, like back in Ferguson, hands up, don't shoot, hands up, don't shoot. When Obama's own Justice Department found and came to a conclusion that that man, Mr. Brown was at fault, and he tried to attack the police officer. But we don't get those sides of the story. It's all distorted. And I'm so glad that we do have voices like yours that can try to tell the truth, because when Americans know the truth, they come through. And this point about Obama did so much for black people, in 2000, at the end of his term, 53% of black people thought he could have done more for black folks. And that's in the book, I think it's on page 130 you're going to you'll see it when you get to that point and but black folks said he didn't do what he could for black didn't do as much as he could.
0: No, they admitted and i it, want to and tell it, you if you saw in the convention last night they had a picture of new york city projects and trust me i've patrolled yes. in that area yes. it's no fun running down an 18th floor uh project while you're chasing some bad guy i've done that um
3: but, oh yeah, you, know, you were the people
0: that lived there when I was on patrol back in the late eighties, early nineties, they worked hard to keep the projects as safe as they can. You know, some of them took real pride. You had some places that were honest dumps and you didn't have a a committee or whatever, you know, patrolling it, but you know, now they do. But under de Blasio, Cuomo, Biden, and Obama, they said that we're going to open up the the public projects in these urban centers and allow illegal aliens to reside there. Now, you've got people waiting 10 years or more, legal American citizens of extremely low income level or poverty level, waiting to get into this public housing so that they would be protected and off the street waiting 10 years or more. But no, an illegal alien who has just jumped the border and gets ahead of everyone else. does Is that justice? Is that right?
4: Nope. As you said, I think well, last time I was on your show, we talked about this. Illegal aliens have become the new protected. I, oh, I guess I better say illegal immigrants, right? Uh, no, Have aliens. become the new protected class. They're the new protected class. Blacks, I think, in one of my Newsmax articles in the book, um, it talks about how blacks have been thrown under the illegal alien bus. We've been sacrificed. That the people who really count uh, and, and are at the front of the bus are illegal immigrants. And that's who they're catering to. And if black folks don't watch it, and as a black person, I get very scared about this. You look at the changing demographics of these big cities and if the Congressional Black Caucus all 40 of them think that if they allow all of this to continue, that they're going to have their seats, they won't you know our little lady in New York, AOC there are going to be more coming into these districts, and a lot of them illegally will be voting because of the way the Democrats want to kind of fix the elections and a lot of, who do you think you're going to vote for, a black Democrat or a Hispanic Democrat so these black congressmen better watch it because they're going to they're gonna go. And that's what's going on in the country. There's, and Obama knew this. That's why he wanted illegal immigration. That's what this whole thing is about. It's changing the complexion so that this Democratic electorate they're going to have will be a majority and the Republicans will not be well, able to get pulled again. That's what it's all about, really.
0: You're also going to see black leadership that has been keeping them there. Hey, uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a real very suspicious here. When I call out Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton, yeah, oh. these guys made themselves very wealthy. And if anyone remembers when Jesse Jackson was running for president, and I'm updating myself here now. Uh, he had just published a book detailing how he and his sons hoodwinked the black community and made themselves very, very wealthy. And, very and that's wealthy. your book, right? And after that, that after he published that book, suddenly he drops out of the presidential race. Do you remember <laughs> that, Clarence?
4: Exactly. It, uh, to a point. I mean, he. Oh, you take a look at a lot of these folks. Reverend Al Sharpton's doing pretty well himself. Um, they're doing very, very well. Uh, well, does anyone
0: watch Sharpton's uh, show on MSNBC anymore? <laughs> oh, <laughs>
4: watch that's why there's no more uh, people. No more people out here. On the sidelines, uh, uh, constituents who represent black viewers who can protest because the big leaders uh, who could demand like they did under the days of Benjamin Hooks, who I worked for at the FCC. There was a blackened movement to have a media responsive to our needs and to have blacks in management positions. That's kind of gone. But you made a good point a minute ago when you went back to uh, Jesse Jackson. I point out in the book, I said – I wrote, talk about dating yourself. I wrote my first article ever. It got published in the Washington Times many years ago, back in, I think it was 1985. And it was called, and it's in the last part of the book called The Epilogue. It was called The Closed Minds of Black Leaders and how bad the black leadership was. And there was the greatest cartoon in there. and It had a picture of black folks, right, the Democrats. And right beside him in that bed was AFL-CIO, the teachers' unions, and organized labor, and all of the other folks. About five years later, I did another article for Human Events called The Black Overseers. When you mentioned Jackson, I thought of that. That's also in the book, but it's called—it's in the section called Nothing Has Changed. Nothing. The black leadership Today is in the hip pocket of the Democratic Party, the Congressional Black Caucus, the NAACP. They're all adjuncts to the Democratic Party. And as we sit here on the 28th anniversary, I'm sorry, the 57th anniversary of the March on Washington, uh, a long time ago, look at the difference in the country. We had a black political leadership, which there wasn't much then. We had of civil rights leadership and movement that was totally bipartisan. They worked with Republicans, and they worked with Democrats to get things done. You don't see that now. Just look at what Me? the blacks in the Congress did, and Kamala Harris leading it to make sure that Senator Scott's police reform bill, it died because the Democratic Party did not want the black cops to support it, because they wanted to make an issue out of it. But what happens when poor Mr. Blake gets shot or somebody gets shot by the cops? The first people to jump up and say, we need police reform are the black Democrats and the black Congress people, right? But they didn't, no one calls them to account for not supporting Senator Tim Scott's bill on, prison, on uh, police reform. Even the police union well, supported. So well, you right, the black government is still my- there.
0: My, Tim Scott happens to be my senator. Now, I had some problems with what he put in the bill, and uh, I will be reaching out to his office about that. Maybe he can rewrite it. And when Trump wins his second term and we take back the House, maybe something can be done. But i got to tell you a little side note, because uh, the people that were listening know that when I signed off on Friday, I was telling them, if you see me with a black eye today, it's because we had a black, the blue, and first responders rally. Oh. And... Uh, I was there in my um, T-shirt that said, never underestimate a police officer. And I'm putting this on right now, my NYPD ball cap. <laughs> so, and yeah, and actually there was a counter protest, of course, the street from us. It was a group of people with uh, United something, United uh, America, uh, which is a local small group here. Um, originally he was part of Black Lives Matter, but he admitted that the, organization black lives matter has been taken over and usurped the message is no longer what it originally oh. was but there were people carrying black lives matter signs and we had about 200 on our side of the street you know supporting and having patriotic music and great signs um and they had only 25 but the leadership and a couple of the members came across the street and started to weave through our crowd i think they were trying to provoke us but
3: we were oh, ready oh
0: we were ready. It's like, we're not, we're not going to accost you. You have the same freedom of speech that we have. You got a message, you know, let us have a conversation. So a couple of us went over and talked. And in the end, the gentleman that was leading the other counter protest and I the very same opinion. Yes, there needs to be reform, but we can't defund the police. Cause if we give the police back the funding they need, they can come into the communities and join with you and come to an understanding of what your needs are and what we have to work with. Yes, it can be done, but you can't do it by defunding because then there will be no one there to protect and serve. And when we talk to that, we had a very civil, civil conversation twice, but still they came across trying to provoke us. It didn't happen. But we can have that conversation as long as we are able to reach out to people that are willing to listen and willing to have that conversation. Right now, there's not very many of them out there, Clarence.
4: Definitely. And that's why old Biden stays in his little basement. Uh, they don't <laughs> want to talk. They don't want to do anything. But you know, I don't know if, what you think about this comment. I really think, well, I know a lot of black people who will tell me, um, and I can tell, uh, they could be people from security companies or cable companies, and I get into politics. They're kind of quiet. But there are a lot of black people in this country who don't dare tell a pollster or tell other black people that they support Donald Trump. Very, very few will say that. That's why I really think, and you, when you combine that with the white folks who have been keeping their mouths shut, because, as the president said last night, people are afraid to say anything in this cancel culture. I bet, I remember back in the '80 election, who oh, um. When all of a sudden Ronald Reagan turned on the television, and I'll never forget this, Annie. I was at the big hotel the night of the election, and guess who was singing in the ballroom? Sammy Davis Jr. And he was singing Candyman, Man" if you remember that song. Oh, and all yeah. of a sudden the music stopped, <laughs> and he came on the stage. When let's say we used to it. Oh yeah, this was the um, this was the uh, I'm sorry, I'm going back, going really back the Nixon race. When he clobbered McGovern, landslide. But in 1980, Reagan swept this country. Totally under, media totally underestimated him. I really think that we may have a similar situation to what happened in 72 with Nixon clobbering McGovern with a landslide, and 1980 with Reagan clobbering old Carter, where the media got it wrong. These pollsters are getting it wrong. And I really think that the reason that uh, Biden came out of the basement and started talking about violence is because they must have some polls showing that the public is going against these folks because they're not speaking out. And I understand that there was a poll on Black Lives Matter, which a month ago said 45 or 50 percent supported them. Now it's way down under 20 percent. And look at that, what's going on in Wisconsin. That was a Trump district. And these are people who are going to support the president throughout that state because of what's going on there. It's really disgusting. And the media doesn't show. You know, the Democrats talk about when the blacks get shot and beaten up, which is horrible. But when these white businessmen and shop owners are beaten, they don't want to talk about it. But they're going to remember it and they're going to vote the right way. So you made a good point about those things.
0: If anyone saw that video that went viral, the seventy-one-year-old man trying to defend his store and he gets knocked oh. unconscious, and that was that was horrific, horrific. And you had um, Captain Dorn's wife, his widow. She was great, uh, wasn't she? About- yes, yeah, she was. I did not realize his wife was a police officer too. That that I
4: didn't was she really? I didn't even know that she was white. But I didn't was she a yeah. cop? Oh my yes, gosh, she- that's great.
0: Yes, she was. Um, and she actually she, had been on duty earlier that day. She had gone home. She thought her husband was downstairs watching TV, did not know he had left the house. And then she gets the knock on the door, the knock you never wanted to have. So, yeah, it was heart-rending when I watched her on that. But, you know, that was a black life. But that black life didn't matter because he was a cop. Uh That same day, he was murdered. There was another gentleman uh, who was a federal officer guarding a courthouse out in California. I think it was San Francisco, maybe right or wrong. Also African American. And he was killed at the same time. But black lives matter so much that these lives didn't matter. No, no. Suddenly, if you're a cop, you're you're no longer black. You're no longer Hispanic or Asian. You're no longer male or female, gay or straight. Once you put that uniform on, you're an object. You are not even considered a human being. And this do you remember are- the
4: days when everybody wanted? We want more black cops. We want more Puerto Rican cops. We want mm-hmm. cops that look like us. Well, your your former department is a majority uh, non-white now. But these little white mm-hmm. privilege kids come up and yell and scream in their face and spit in their face. It's black cops.
0: Yeah, there was a, a, a female white privileged individual, Black Lives Matter supporter, going face to face, she had no mask on, yelling and screaming at a Black New York City police officer while his white officer standing next to him was looking at him. The pain on the white officer's face as this Black cop just took the vitriol that this woman dared to even spew at him. How dare she determine what this Black officer can and cannot do or what he should stand for?
1: What did That's it, why or, I couldn't have become right. not
4: have become a cop. I don't, don't have the patience God. for it. I know, I was a bartender and a bouncer, and if I, I knew I couldn't, I, I would be not the nice guy. <laughs> I couldn't. I admire you for what you've done,
6: though. You yeah, did.
0: I stood uh, just in Parkway in the riots of Crown Heights, and I heard a oh, lot boy. of nasty
6: stuff
0: hurled at us. And you had to stand there as stoically as possible, as much as you wanted to reach for your nightstick and wallop someone. You can't. The restraint was all. Showing under these circumstances, I don't know if I could do the job anymore. Or when I watched the New York City cops being hurl, having water and everything hurled at them, unbelievable. Ah. And that fact, the current PBA president Patty Lynch, I worked with him. He was out of the same command I was. One day, his partner when, He went to a housing project with his partner one day, and they got out of the car. Seconds later, off the roof of that housing project, someone hurled. A refrigerator that crushed the car. Oh. If they had been in that car just a second before, Lord knows where we'd be today or whether or not Patty Lynch would be alive. Ooh, so, my this, gosh. Is not this is not something that, that what these men and women go through. They have the, Out there, these people protesting them have no idea. No idea. Listen, we've got and a you know what? in the line. Yeah.
4: Same. Remember back in the early days of the drug epidemic in the old movie Godfather? They were sitting in a big room, and the guy said, well, let's keep it in the colored neighborhoods of the drugs. And where did all those drugs wind up? Out into the suburbs. That's just what's going to happen with this violence. You know, they say, okay, there's just blacks beating each other up in the inner city. I don't care. But look where that violence is coming. It's going to downtown Chicago. It's now in Wisconsin. The suburban mother better realize and voter if you let that stuff go on in, in, in the inner cities, in the big cities, it's coming right down the street to your kids and your schools. That's the lesson. I think that's what America's waking up about.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Clarence, do you want to hang out? Because I, we got our next guest. They're also friends of Curtis's, who I wish he was here with us today. Um, Michael, I'm not I'm going to get this really, I'm going to screw this up. Bobby and Kaya Michael, who lost their son to an illegal alien, let me bring them on the air with us. I do believe this is there. Uh, is this Bobby and uh, Kaya? Yes. Hello. How you doing? Hi. How you guys doing today? And welcome aboard. We have Clarence McKee with us. So if you want, we, we'll all hang out and have a good time here in the room.
6: Oh, isn't it pleasant?
0: Pleasure to meet you, my friend. How you doing? Hanging in here.
4: <laughs> I'm just so honored to be a guest on this on Annie's show and. Get these opinions expressed, and can't wait to hear your story
0: well, yeah, um, well. yeah, uh Bobby, you and cayanne run the uh, foundation in the name of your son who was brutally murdered by an illegal alien uh, who just watched him die uh Brandon Randolph Michael, and people can find out more about this by going to the foundation which is his name brandon randolph Michael you're also now. If I get this right, along, please correct me. I do believe you're also with Black Voices for Trump.
1: Hi, uh, hello, and thank you for having us on. We are definitely honored. This is Kion Michael. I am uh, a member of the Black Voices for Trump Coalition Advisory Great. Board, and Bobby serves as a advisory board member for the Veterans for Trump Coalition.
0: Oh, that's phenomenal. All ends on, on you guys. I, mean, yeah. I, mean, I don't even know where to start with you because, you know, because of your involvement in the foundations, you also got involved with immigration issues as well as the border wall. Now, I saw that the Trump administration has initiated where individuals can purchase property along the border and erect their own wall instead of us <clears> worrying about whether or not the government is impinging on someone's private property or something, I think that's rather clever.
4: Amazing.
1: I think so. I think it's a testimony to uh, Americans doing what we do best as Americans, which is that uh, we stand for the security of our, of our nations, of our families, of our cities, of our towns. Uh, and, and, and it generally spends from – not having an advocate for closing borders uh, like we have currently with President Trump prior to President Trump, and because now President Trump is such a, a strong advocate and he's such a, uh, a a president who believes in law and order, he's so strong on the border security uh, entire thesis and entire uh, aspect because he himself has said that. Without a border, we are not a nation. Just as without a home, uh, when you're building a home until those windows and doors are put on, and there are locks, that's not a home. We don't even feel safe to move into it. Mm -hmm. So um, the president has been our greatest advocate. He was the only president who really paid attention and gave uh, a voice to the voiceless families of, and, and he, he he coined the term angel families himself um, and gave us a name so that people will be able to relate to, uh, when they hear angel families, what he's talking about and who we are. And we're grateful for that.
0: It's mm, so true. I, I, I think we just lost Kai, Kyan. Um For yes. some reason, we're having problem with our audio. We keep on hearing people go in and out, so I don't know if it's on my end or somewhere else, but I apologize. I heard it very clearly, know, uh, um, I always ask, and I've heard this over and over again, you know, you want to protect your home, so you lock the door, you close the windows, and you feel like you're going to be safe from anyone intruding. So why would we not lock the borders and not let in people that we do not know? or have not checked to make sure that they are not criminals, they're not here to rob us, to sell drugs, to uh, traffic in human uh, sex trade, why would we not want to make sure that the person entering our home, and this nation is our home, so if we look at it as if this is our personal house or our nation is our home, why would we not lock the door and close the windows and only admit people we feel safe with? Why wouldn't we do that? Bobby, does this make any sense to you?
7: It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, the the left is so confused right now because some of the members in Congress, they used to be for closed borders. Now, um, for some unknown reason, they want uh, open borders, and we cannot allow that here in America. I mean – You and I both, just like you explained, without a door on your house and without windows in the walls, any and everybody is welcome to come in freely without ringing your doorbell or knocking on the door.
0: Joe, I I have to laugh because, you know, people are not openly in public saying what their opinion is uh, ever since this COVID virus outbreak came and then the rise of the Black Lives Matter because of police shootings. Uh, that the media is not correctly reporting on. Um, There has been a rise in the number of gun ownership, and I saw this this morning, of 5 million. Now, you can imagine, say, 98% of those people buying those firearms are going to vote Trump. What do you think? I think we're going to have a ballot box revolution, Cayenne. What do you think?
1: I think so as well. I think that the left has made it very clear of what their agenda is. We're, we're watching democratic controlled cities under siege because they refuse to do their job that they were sworn to do to protect their citizens. And I, I, I believe that they send the best message themselves to their constituents of why we cannot afford to reelect them, why we cannot afford to have Joe Biden in office, why we cannot afford to allow them to have control over a popsicle stand, let alone our nation. And they're sending that message loud and clear and Americans are responding because we are seeing, just as you said, the rise in the the gun ownership. People are recognizing, listen, especially those living in sanctuary cities and and sanctuary states, which is where Mm -hmm. you're seeing the uprise, the rioting and the looting. Uh, They are recognizing that they are on their own they have to protect themselves and this is why our our second and our first amendment is under such attack because the left knows and especially those who are in uh, who are in uh, political office they will have security but they yeah, don't look what
4: happened to McCluskey's in St. Louis the prosecutors come after them for protecting their own home
1: exactly hmm. right One want us as citizens everyday citizens to have security, and um, this is something as Americans, these are our rights. This is what is this is what is making America such a great country to be in. This is why we are America, is because we have our inalienable rights that men and women have died to secure and make sure that we keep those rights. And we people are rising up, and they're they're waking up, and they're realizing that this election, it, it determines sovereignty as our as as our existence. This election is the most pivotal election of our lifetime. We've got to get it right. We must reelect President Trump. He really is the only thing that's standing between between us and socialism, between us and globalism, Marxism. Uh, he's he's the defending force, such as they Absolutely. want. Absolutely. The police, you know, the police is the only. Wall between us and the anarchists. They're the only ones between. They're the only place of security between us and those who want to hurt us and harm us. We remove that. There's no other culture that will be impacted more negatively than the black culture, than minority cultures. And we're seeing this. I mean, it, it, we're seeing children in strollers being shot. We're seeing children walking up, down the street with their with their parent holding their arm, being oh. shot. Sad, and um, we, are, we are being – it affects us the
0: most. And, and the media doesn't mention that most of these victims we're seeing being shot are black. They're in urban neighborhoods, and they're black. And who's in charge of those urban centers?
7: Democrats. Black, black ones.
0: And, and it, it's, it's – where is the outreach? There is none. But, two, people like CNN and MSNBC and the other criminal networks, uh -uh, it's a peaceful protest as you stand in front of a building being burnt down that just had been looted. Yes, this is a real peaceful protest, CNN. Let's get the facts out there. And that's a problem. The news is no longer news. It is just nothing but opinionated pieces. Now, I don't pretend to be a newscaster. Uh, This show is opinionated piece. Hide behind a logo or whatever, de- declaring myself a news outlet. I don't lie about that, but instead we're being lied by the media, and the public is eating it up as if the absolute truth, and it's really unfortunate. Where is the truth going to come from? I think, uh, oh. Uh, Jesus. Oh my God, Clarence. Showers sure, sure like and like you are great part. Yeah. You know, you, you have The left turning around and tearing apart the Republican convention, but watching it, I hear more and more people saying it was so uplifting. It was a joy to see people not tearing our nation down. But explaining this is what Trump has done, this is how he has brought our nation forward. Yes, we have problems. Yes, we are not a perfect people, and this is where we all would like to see the nation go forward. And that was so wonderful. What I loved about this Bobby and Kyan was that they brought Democrats. Let's say now we are Trump supporters because this is the Democratic Party that left us behind and this is the man that picked up the reins. I, I was just I was so joyful. We watched all four days.
1: Including my 88 year old mother. Mm. It was it was definitely a record breaking uh, <laughs> RNC. It was fantastic. I mean, every night had I think most people on the edge of their seat because it was it was one American story after another. Just regular Americans like Alice Johnson who had been. Uh. There, uh, who received a a five-term, five-life-term sentences for offenses that were nonviolent under Joe Biden. And it took President Trump to interrupt that and say, you know what, and undo horrible policies uh, that that Biden formulated and Biden pushed under uh, uh, the Obama administration for 46 years. I mean, he has made the comment that Uh, with his 94 crime bill, that uh, people would go to jail, particularly if was focused and aimed at black Americans, minorities, will go to jail for everything short of jaywalking. And, of course, he is the same person who told my husband and I and all of black America that if we don't vote for him, we're not black. He's the same (laughs) person also liking a a, a black uh, journalist, a newscaster that he was interviewing, to a thug. To a drug dealer or a drug pusher.
6: Yes. And it
1: just on and on and on and on. But our president has done more for Black America. He he said it throughout the RNC all all four nights. Other people got up and said every day, coming that the, the strength of having everyday Americans, just regular people, to tell their story like we're telling our story, our son' life being snuffed snuffed out at 21 years old. full of life, engaged to be married, killed uh, in in a car crash, an illegal wrench right into him. Uh, And our son was, he was our heart. We have an older son, we have a younger younger daughter, and it has forever changed and devastated our family. We now have a two-year-old grandson who will never know his uncle Brandon because of our weak, and unenforced immigration laws they were not enforced he, he as I said a moment ago he came here twice broke our law twice crossed the borders was deported came back again the third time and and killed our son only received two years and then <laughs> deported again. and we are now seeing that uh, President Trump has not only just talked about doing something he ran on the platform of immigration, He ran on a platform of doing something about immigration, about closing our borders, securing our borders. And he's done everything that he, every promise he has made, he has fulfilled that, plus them. with his hands stopped behind his bike. We know what Congress has been doing, how Congress has been fighting him every inch of the way. It was Congress who said there was no emergency at the border, over and over and over. Nancy, including herself, she said it as Speaker of the House, such a negligent statement to make. And our president, while he's trying to secure the border in January, they're trying to impeach him. And it's ridiculous. And we know as of now, uh, there are over 300 miles of constructed wall that has already been erected under President Trump. And we're expecting by the end of the year that to be around 450 miles. That makes a significant difference. Bobby and I were at the at the southern wall, uh, at the southern border, to see uh, uh, a portion of the border wall go up, and it was quite a sight to see. We wanted to see for ourselves what's happening at the southern border. We wanted to see the wall itself and, and how it looked and how it was constructed, and we were very touched because – the crew that was working on that on that wall, they stopped their equipment when they found out that there was a group of us angel parents that were there, and they oh. they came down. They humbly said, "You all are why we do what we do." And wow. Yeah. For that, we know that eighty illegal crossings you know, down by eighty percent under President Trump.
0: You know, it, here we have every day unhyphenated Americans out there working together to bring this country together. But instead, we have a political party out there that wants to keep all of us under their thumb. You know, let's get illegal against the right to vote. So that way we can stay in office. So Nancy Pelosi can build her vineyards. So Charlie Rangel can find another way to evade the IRS. You know, they, they're aligning their pockets And they're doing things that, should you or I do, would have been called insider trading or some other criminal uh, crime. And we would be doing time in prison. But because they are members of the Senate or the House of Representatives, they're exempt. Whatever happened to equal protection under the law? What happened to the 10th Amendment? Clarence, can you clear this up for me? Am I missing something here?
4: Well, you've got a generation out here who are just haven't been taught anything because of the teachers have been raised under a society that condemned their country. Some of them, you know, they're children of the sixties children, and they fill the people's minds and hearts with this anti-American thing. And that's what we're living under the teachers. So you got a generation of kids who are professionals. Now they're the ones who are these prosecutors who are uh, letting criminals get out on the street. And that's why as a, your guests were saying, they we got to have a change. And we need the president. It's, um, it's a shame, you know, and I'm telling you that and that's why I mentioned the McCloskey's there's not going to be any there anyone there to defend you if you don't defend yourself. And the minute people start trying to defend themselves, they call us what vigilantes. And that's why my best friends are going to be Mr. Smith, Mr. Wesson, and Mr. Winchester, because sometimes they're the only <laughs> people you can trust because the police are afraid you know, they do anything. They're going to get called to being a racist if they arrest an illegal alien.
0: Well, I've, I've got Shame. Mr. Glock, Mr. Ruger, Mr. Smith, Mr. Wesson, <laughs> just a few friends. It <laughs> <laughs> you know, really gets me the most when you talk about McCloskey's. Um, there's a story that hasn't really been made that public yet because they haven't had their court date, but the weapon that Mrs. McCloskey had was not a working firearm. It happened to have been a display piece. There was no way that firearm could have been fired. And there wasn't even ammo in it. She just held it and pointed an empty weapon. When it went to the police lab, they fixed it and made it fireable. They made it operable. And oh. they charged her that she was carrying an operable firearm. That's a completely different charge. That's going to come out in the public. That's going to be a huge scandal. And now no one's talking about the prosecutor for Jesse Smith is now under investigation for her mishandling of the case. Uh, Some of these prosecutors that are George Soros DAs are coming under the gun, should we say? So I think when Trump gets the second term, all these things are going to come to the surface. We're going to see... (laughs) A fundamental change in this nation changing back to a republic i i bobby i, I think the, the, am I seeing the same thing you're seeing
7: Yes, pretty much, and uh I think it's time to hold Congress hold them accountable because yes. right now Congress is really sad um as American taxpayers um that vote people like Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer and the uh, democratic anti-american congress radicals that we have nowadays we voted them in office to take care of american citizens and it seems like they don't want anything but open border policies they want to abolish immigration detention facilities and they want to just shut down border security and the uh, ice you know i've never heard of such before
0: No, and you served in the military, and thank you for your service, but all the hard things you worked for, and when you look at the country and the way it has been destroyed, it it must break your heart. I know it breaks mine.
7: Yeah, it does break my heart. You know, um, I just thank God for President Trump because he is the man that's standing in their way. And uh, I believe after we get him reelected, After uh, the election on November the 3rd, you know, four more years, there's a lot more things that he's going to do to keep America great again, make America great again. Oh,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. And then when we watched the Democrats try to pull the heartstring in their alleged convention, they had this little girl, Esther, come in, and she was talking about her mother, Alejandra Juarez, and how she was – so ripped from the arms of her family and cruelly deported by the Trump administration. And then when you delve into the story, uh, wait a minute, it was under the Clinton administration that this law was placed on the books so that when she was finally pulled over and her name was run under the Clinton law, she was then flagged. Um, She had been deported previously. She had snuck over that quarter the first time. And they sent her back immediately. Then she went and snuck over a second time and stayed illegally. Um, She was then flagged by uh, uh, Homeland Security. Under Obama and and Biden administration, she decided to self-deport herself. So she had to report for probation as her paperwork went through the books. And lo and behold, her number came up and a bureaucrat said, it's your time, time for you to go home. But by then, Trump was president, so now it's Trump, who's the evil, evil man, who deported this woman, who was flagged under the Clinton law, who was caught under the Obama administration, who was flagged for deportation under the Obama administration, and then finally, probably one of the swamp animals holdover over from the Obama administration, deports her. But this is, this is the message they get out, how evil and nasty we are. Uh, and meanwhile, you lose your your wonderful son, your glorious son, to one of these illegal aliens who did the very same crime this woman did.
1: Exactly, and, and you know, for us, we'll never ever be the same. You know, it, it's difficult okay. for us to even come together uh, to take family photos, and we just took our first. It's been this year; it is twelve years. And we just took our first family photo. We were just now able to take our first family photos just a few months ago, and that was because we wanted to capture a photo with our grandson. So he's been the, the drive behind uh, us being able to heal enough to take a photo because we are an incomplete family without our child. And mm-hmm. our child deserved to be here. And we hear over and over from the Democrats, how much they feel for the illegals who are here, they fail to even acknowledge the American citizens like myself, and it's happening a lot. Every one in hour, one American in hour is being impacted negatively due to illegal immigration. Mm-hmm. It may not be uh, an actual life taken; it could be through rape, it could be through it is through identity theft. It's through drugs. We have a lot, of, a lot of American children, young people, who have OD'd over the drugs that cross our borders. That's right. Through human, human trafficking. Uh, you know, we, our American, some of our American children and, and, and adults are trafficked. It's so many different ways. And we know that uh, what our president has been successful in doing when it comes to the border, we're eternally grateful. And this is why Bobby and I take our, our time, and we, we're so dedicated to getting out, and we speak quite a bit, telling the truth of what happens and when we keep our borders open, when our borders are not secure, why it's important to back President Trump and his desire, and his, he, he is adamant about securing our nation why we must support them, why he's got to be biked up, and why Congress has gotten it wrong over and over again, because they're just the opposite. They want the open borders. Joe Biden said that he will—he wants open borders. And yes, he he, did. Let, he will see to it that we have open borders. He, they want to undo everything that the president has done that has built our nation to secure our nation in every area, and illegal immigration is definitely one of them. He wants to increase the, the number of migrants who are coming in. He wants to increase uh, uh, the space and the capacity for them to be able to, to get jobs, where our, our president has said, no, we want Americans first. And um, we know the cult. We are We are the end result of what happens when our borders are not secure. And we are no longer, it's no longer just a a a crisis along the border cities and states every city and state in the u.s has become a border city or state because of the influx because of their determination to get in and it also doesn't help that we have people like cory booker our elected politicians cross the border to bring them escort them over into our nation and and when we speak one of the biggest myths that we have to knock down is a straight out lie is that uh the president's putting children in cages. That is from the Obama administration.
6: That's right. That that's very true.
1: People are seeing those pictures are not from President Trump. There are no children in cages. We've been to the border. We know that that's not true. And we have to tell people. And they actually have been believing, as you said earlier, you know, what the the media had, the lies that they've been spending uh, concerning that. And also, you know, they they talk about, oh, you know, you uh, the, the children are separated from the parents. That's something we heard when right here in the state of Florida, we were with our governor and we decided to to speak out uh, about uh, Sanctuary City, against Sanctuary City last year when, when uh, that was being heard and when uh, the challenge was, was risen. And when uh, our governor said if he was elected, that was the platform he ran on, Governor DeSantis, that there will be no sanctuary cities in the state of Florida. And he backed that up. And we were right by his side when he announced it. And we spoke both in the House and in the Senate over and over and over again, which is not easy for us because we have to relive this. We have to relive the worst day of our life uh, over and over. But we had to let them put a face to the reality that this is this is a problem, that we cannot have a safe place for criminal illegals. And that's what sanctuary cities, that's what they house, that's who they protect. We're not talking about the illegals that actually come, that are working hard, that, that are paying taxes, that are trying to become a citizen. We're not talking about them. We're talking about criminal illegals. And we know that you and I, and, and you all, on the, my husband and I, and you all on the call, we if we break the law, we're we're gonna be held accountable. We're going to jail. Why do illegals why are they giving a pass? Why are we even making it so easy for them to have a pass? That's why we see the anarchy on our streets that we see right now. Because those sanctuary cities are not safe for Americans. And that's why our president has said we have got to, he's got to end we've gotta reelect him so that he can end these sanctuary cities these sanctuary policies, because he knows that it's costly, he knows that it's deadly, he knows that it is anti-American, and he cares about our nation.
0: Well, now, I saw something in the news, and I, I just only caught a portion of it. So, Clarence, you might be knowing more about this, but Trump is starting to send out the troops uh, to take, over, take back these cities that are being overrun. Um, but I heard something that if If that city refuses the troops going in there to assist the police in taking control of law and order, he was going to yank federal funds. Did I hear
1: that correctly?
4: I think you did. When he was talking about, uh, one, there were two issues that everyone jumped up and yelled at him about when he talked about sending in federal troops. Well, Eisenhower did that when the governors wouldn't support civil rights laws, and nobody complained. But I think he did mention, I think you're right, that if you don't accept federal help, we're going to take a look at some of that DOJ money you're getting. And I think that's why one of the reasons that the um, good old governor in um, uh, Wisconsin relented, because he does have a big stick, and you notice things get quiet. It's true. Uh, I'm so glad that your guests are also down here in Florida. um, We have a good governor a good governor who supported school choice. That's why he won. And he had 100,000 black women who voted for him because of that. Um, and he's tough on all these issues like um, Bobby's wife, Bobby, was was saying. But you got to have a big stick. And when you say, my city's not going to uh, ask for federal help and people are getting their business killed, the voters are going to turn on these governors and they're going to turn on these mayors. That's why... They're starting to accept the president's help. And they're not invaders or, uh, what do they call them, brown shirts and Nazis. Do you believe that? When people are being beaten and killed?
6: Yeah, yeah
0: I've had those hurled at me. <laughs> yeah, I can believe that. <laughs> I can definitely believe that. But, you know, uh, some some of the uh, elected officials are starting to punch back at the the media and uh, the leftists that are are causing all this. Um, there was a mayor of Danbury, Connecticut, got even with John Oliver, who made a bunch of absolutely obnoxious statements and a rant on his HBO show. And uh, so the mayor of Danbury, Mark Horton, said, OK, he, I'm not going to take these comments lying down. So on Saturday, he posted to Facebook Watch a video to announce that the town is renaming their sewer plant. They're going to call it the John Oliver Memorial Sewer Plant, because it's full of, <clears throat> like you, John. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> there is pushback. <laughs> so we got to add a little humor to that. But, uh, Bobby and Kai, people can find you on your foundation website, uh, BrandonRandolphFoundation.com. Yes. Um, Brandon, <laughs> Brandon Randolph. Brandon Randolph michael foundation there's a link on the show page so uh clarence you can click on it and it'll take you directly to Brilliant. their page uh, so you're also with black voices for trump and bobby you're a veterans for trump i thank you for the hard work you do and i want to mention clarence yeah. you've got your book that just came out how obama failed black america and how trump is helping it which people get at amazon they can also find you at newsmax.com where you have Constant articles up there, as well as your own You're website, kind. which is keycommunications.com. Try to say that three times fast. So Thank no, you. Just days. say
4: clarencemckee.com. I'll get it there too. Clarencemckee.com, oh. and that's what you put on the Amazon link. Thank you so very much. And I'm really glad to see that we have people with black voices for trumpets. Very important organization. And more and more blacks are speaking out like them. And just look at the convention the other night, all of those great black spokespersons. That's why a lot of other blacks are starting to speak up and have – we're tired of turning our other cheek.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Walk away, guys. Walk away. So, Clarence, Bobby, and Kind, thank you so much for joining us. And keep up the hard work, and God bless you for the work you do.
4: Thank you all so very much. And I appreciate uh, your guests very, very much. And I'll go to look at their foundation.
0: Okay. (laughs) donation. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) They buy the book and I'll
4: get a donation. We'll do it all. Help each other out. But I really want to read about your son. Absolutely.
0: Thank you so much for having Oh, it is our pleasure. Our pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, check it out, Clarence com, as well as the Brandon Randolph Michael Foundation.com. I want to welcome back to the show who hasn't been with us for a while, so I have to apologize for that. Uh, we have with us Dr. Paul Nathanson. Good afternoon, Dr. Paul. How are you today? Fine, thanks. It is a pleasure, and so much has been happening, and oh my goodness, the world has changed in just a few years that you have not been on the show. I'm, my head is spinning. You've got a new book that is going to be coming out soon as I understand. Let me see if I got the title correct. Uh, Transcending Misandry from Feminist Ideology to Intersexual Dialogue. What the heck is intersexual dialogue, Dr. Paul?
5: Well, it's um, really based on the model of interreligious dialogue. Um, I did some work um, many years ago with uh, Jews and Christians And uh, so that's the basic paradigm here You get two groups of people who have conflict, let's say At the very least um, But you do, you get people together to talk in an atmosphere In which they can have confidence and trust Anyway, that's... Uh, We outline. My colleague Catherine Young and I um, uh, outlined the process, uh, but it's really um, I'm afraid to say it's a utopian idea, because at the moment uh, we're about as far from interreligious dialogue, or intersexual dialogue, or any other kind.
0: I mean, when we were last on, we were talking about men's rights and the the misandry and Uh, this rise of feminism, we have to break the glass ceiling uh, because we're not considered equal in the eyes of the law. Uh, If this man is a CEO, then more women should be CEOs. Where We go against our nature, our God-given nature, uh, where we may be better off as teachers, as mentors, in other areas of society where our best talents can be used, but Instead, we have this feminist idea that maybe we can do the very same things that any man does better than they can. and That's not always true. We have to take our own personal nature into consideration when we do this.
5: Well, in the first place, uh, it might well be that women can do everything men can do, but it's certainly not the case that men can do everything women can do. Uh, you know, the the difference there should be pretty obvious and, and was obvious for throughout human history until about five years ago. Um, so there's an asymmetry there. Men cannot have babies.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So,
5: well, you know, um,
0: the way I look at it is that you, you have to do it as a meritocracy. You don't, you can't do it as mediocrity. You know, just because you exist, you have then the right to do this profession or earn this wage. Instead of saying, this person, even though she's a female, has the tenacity and the talents to be the CEO. Not everyone can do it. Not everyone should be going to college too, and I'm sure you see that in the classroom. But instead of going by merit, well, simply because you're a woman or you're this race or that religion, you have the right even though you don't have the skill.
5: Yes, I don't think that that argument entails um, that everybody should be forced to do things that they don't want to do. That argument is based simply on civil rights. Unfortunately, exactly. unfortunately, uh, there are people who, uh, I guess, sincerely believe, I have to assume that they sincerely believe, that if any uh, population is not precisely numerically equal to others, um, that that must be remedied somehow by government intervention. That's the problem we're at. Because they assume there are people who assume any discrepancy, any numerical discrepancy must be due to um, uh Well, sexism or racism, in other words, there cannot be any other explanation for differences of that kind and I think that that's just um, uh, nonsense doesn't make any sense and it has no there's no evidence for that it's an assumption
0: well, you know over the last couple of decades we've seen a change in how we view the male-female relationship, much less how we define gender. And the last time we talked on the show, we mostly were discussing how masculinity was under attack. If this was a man's man, uh, really like a lumberjack, that's a bad person. That's not how men should present themselves in in, uh, society. It's intimidating. We've got to get them to stop being such men. And then you saw the rise of the metrosexual. Uh, But when they do studies, they find that heterosexual females are not as attracted to heterosexuals as they are to masculine men. And then we see that morph into this new movement by the LBGT community for transgenderism, where they take away the actual gender or urge to procreate. Do we see our society going down a certain road that we may not be able to travel back from?
5: Oh, I do, I do. Um, you know, you can you can never uh, turn the clock back and recapture any period in history. Although you can certainly carry on some traditions, um, but I think that the the focus of the trans movement really goes beyond, in some ways it's different from other identity politics movements, um, because it so obviously ignores science. And by science, I don't just mean, you know, biology and physics, I mean the whole notion of, um, of sex. You know, there's no such thing as a man or a woman. they are just uh, people who feel like a man today and maybe tomorrow a woman, so it undermines the sense of stability that every society must have. Uh, so the the goal, from my point of view, would be not rigidity on either side, um, but also a frank recognition that at some point, objective truth, in the form of in this case in the form of science. Uh, has to has to um, hold sway. Otherwise, if we just say that, well, anything I feel must be true or that that's my truth as distinct from your truth and their truth, uh, those are statements that are really irrational. So I think that what's, in, what's at stake here, many things are at stake, but one thing that's at stake is the whole notion that um, we can use reason um, effectively to create a world in which we can live with biological differences.
0: Well, you know, I was reading something that someone had wrote. Uh, They were trying to argue for gender fluidity, trying to tell us that our physical anatomy does not determine what our gender is. If we are male or female or any of the other 65 flavors, they're now trying to push on us. And I heard that I watched this woman, she wrote down in her article that simply because a doctor, when you are born declared you because of how your anatomy looks, that you are a girl does not mean that you are a girl. And I just sat there scratching my head and I had to read the line three or four times over and go, what? But this is what we're facing now.
5: Well, yes. I mean, it's simply, it it is not, um, I don't think that the intention of anyone who advocates this ideology, um, I don't think that the intention really is to have a rational discourse. I think it's really an assertion that um, people should just be whatever they want to be. And, you know, that's good. I mean, we all, we all hope that we can, you know, um, pull the loose ends of our lives together and create a distinctive identity. Uh, but there are limits, and the limits within which all human beings live is the physical world.
0: Yeah, what we are not looking, as you said, no one is looking at the signs, the actual DNA. I mean, I I say this over and over again. I I don't care how you mutilate your body. When all is said and done, a thousand years from now, you get dug up. They're going to run the DNA, and the DNA is going to say XX or XY. They're going to say male, female. You can't alter the DNA. You can change yourself as surgically as many times as you want. But it doesn't are by nature and by God.
5: Well, I think that when you're dealing with adults,
0: uh, ah, there's a whole might thing adults
5: you have to it might be that the law has to uh, allow people to mutilate their bodies, but certainly not for children. And um, mm-hmm. so there are cases uh, in which um Children, either, well, usually it's a, one of the parents, usually the mother, who decides that her son is really a girl, and so yep. even if the son
0: that's protests, a, that's a case.
5: Um, yeah. it doesn't matter because she is convinced her story requires that she have a, uh, that she have a a, a daughter. So she'll, you know, they can just change the name of their child, dress them up as girls, and that will solve all the problems. And I think that, well, I, there's one case in which I, I have in mind which I think is, is most egregious, and that's the, there's this case that uh, the, a recent judge overturned an earlier ruling which gave, had given custody to both parents um, to make decisions about this child, but now that's been reversed, and so the mother has full, t- full authority to, to do what she wants with her, I don't know, seven- or eight-year-old son, whose name is no longer James, but Luna. Um, mm-hmm. But that's an extreme case. I mean, um, you know, you can also talk about teenage girls. That's another, that's another hot spot. Because Oh yeah, they, it's huge it, It's huge because there's a, there's a, uh, it spreads in a kind of contagion. Girls are very closely interrelated. Uh, they want to please their friends, they want to be you know uh, um, they want to define themselves they're looking for identity. Whatever the reason, they are more susceptible, to this trans um, craze than boys, although in early, in early childhood there are more boys than girls who have what's known as gender dysphoria. And that doesn't mean that they're female, but it does mean that there's a very deeply rooted sense of dissonance. But it's very, very rare and it's certainly not common enough to remake the law with that in mind. There are exceptions. Uh, other exceptions include hermaphrodites, which have uh, you know traces of both kinds of genitalia. These are biological anomalies, but they're not. It's not the same as simply saying, well, yes, they're just one end of a continuum, and we're all on the continuum somewhere. That is not true.
0: When when you look at these anomalies, it's less than 1% of the world population, far less than that. But suddenly we have this phenomenon of these young girls now having this, quote, gender dysphoria. And unfortunately, it is being uh, assisted and propagated by our educational system. You know, these girls, a number of years ago, I don't remember if it was about 10 years ago, we had this outbreak of, junior high and high school girls suddenly become pregnant you know the idea was it is so cool to be pregnant and have a baby while you're in school before that it was anorexia and bulimia you know these girls it's like a contagion and they say well because this person i would sit in and be cool like the rest of them but you know i'm sitting out here on the outside of the cool circle So if I turn around and do what they're doing, they'll accept me as one of them. So whether it's drug addiction, alcohol abuse, uh, pregnancy, uh, bulimia, anorexia, whatever that cool group is doing, I'm going to do to fit in. And this is a phenomenon we're seeing happening now. But it's happening at such a young age. And what is going on with these kids will forever mar them for the rest of their lives.
5: Yes, it certainly can affect things like reproduction. Um, now, this is all, um, I think, partly because of social media. Now, oh, that's, yeah. a kind of, uh, that, that's a kind of um, prism because um, once your name is, is out there, um, you're trying to impress people, even people you've never met, and you get information from all sorts of sources, which very few people actually try to evaluate carefully. Um, so the social media, pop that's a problem in itself, but it certainly adds to this one.
0: Yeah, it's, it's more important to see how many likes you have on your social media than actually having a physical friend that you can sit down and talk to. But what's going on within the school system is that if a child, a child, not even someone that's pubescent yet, will decide, hey, all my girlfriends are saying that they're boys and changing their names. So I'm going to pick out this boy's name and everyone's going to treat me as if I'm a boy. I'll dress like a boy. And then the child will go home and the parents don't always know what's going on because the child is on the Internet Watching these videos of these people are so fantastic. This is how I trans and this is what I did. And I got a binder and then I had top surgery and I'm going for bottom surgery. And they think it's so cool because now this person has 1.5 million hits. That's got to be something good. Oh, my goodness. Everything's saying this is such a wonderful thing to do. And the parent has no say. Absolutely no say, and they don't find out until it has started to happen. And then the school gives them facilities in which to go to get the medications for the testosterone or whatever. And the parents often don't know until it's too late. When did parents lose the right to be the full guardian of their own children, Doctor Paul? When did we lose that?
5: Well, that's you know that's a long story because, in fact, the state has been replacing parents in many ways for well over 100 years. I mean, um, public school teachers, of well, teachers, for example, really have uh, take over what historically was done by parents. Um, and now in many other ways, the state stepped in to usurp the role of parents, sometimes to protect children, and sometimes they don't protect children, they get it wrong. So we had, we had a moral panic about 15 or 20 years ago. Um, uh, it was called, at the time, it was called Recovered Memory Syndrome. Mm-hmm. And partly because that was, that was actively sought by psychologists and psychiatrists, and they used suggestive language to talk to people, and convince them that if they, if they remembered being raped as children, then they were. Now, uh, you know, it, that was not true. And, um, but in the meantime, during the course of this moral panic, in which, you know, thousands and thousands of people were going to court, suing their parents for neglect or rape, um, that destroyed families. And very few of them had any scientific evidence. Well, no, they had no scientific basis, and very often they had no physical evidence either. Um, and when they went to court, uh, you know, the the ju- the well, the judges or the psychologists would ask leading questions, and that would incriminate the parents and also their friends. And their, it, it became a kind of uh, well, as I say, a moral panic. Um, so we go through these moral panics with increasing frequency. I mean, we had one in, in you know, 1692 with the, the Salem witches, and then I'm not sure that we had another one until the McCarthy period. But since then, we've had a series of these moral panics. So we're losing control.
0: Yeah, I think it's well past control. I think that it's completely lost at this point in time. What really disturbed me, because there is an author out, I, I don't mean to pump another author while we're trying to help pump your book, but she wrote one called Irreversible Damage, where she actually outlines uh, some of these individuals and explains how they got to this path. And it's extremely frightening. And as I was doing my notes last night, um, I was, here I went from ma- masculine, a male masculine is toxic, Uh, The metrosexuals have given rise to the transsexuals. And here I ask my question, was the whole point of this to destroy total masculinity? And I'll take it even a step further. There has been a movement uh, by many to control world population, especially that of America and the Western civilization. Is this another way to do population control and then destroy full masculinity?
5: Oh, I don't know that anyone has, has conspired to do that. I think that that might be implicit in some of the things that people say, um, and it might be um, an unforeseen consequence of what they're trying to do. I'm not sure there's a conspiracy here. Um, there could be, but I'm not saying that because I don't know. Um, a conspiracy, after all, is by definition secret.
0: Well, you know, but it, so you know, are...
5: but 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 this but this movement fits a larger pattern that's been going on, and the larger pattern, as far as I can see, is um, collective suicide. I think that wow. our society is, or parts of society, are are just um, are are saying that. Our society is so evil, so irremediably evil, that it's not enough just to reform law. Basically, society has to be destroyed, and another one, a utopian one, built on its ashes. And that's what we see playing out on the streets of America today.
0: You know, you have a huge point there. Again, to destroy full Western civilization, destroy the family, destroy faith, and then you have control of society. And I saw someone writing about the purpose of this trans movement, and they wrote down, and this really floored me, they wanted to create a new species, which I don't think is possible, uh, but it brought me yes, back
6: to a- certain... St-
0: and, 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 and movies that were made, such as Logan's Run and iRobot, were already on our path to both of those.
5: Yes, that's another movement. That's not the trans movement, although it it, um, it fits right in, but it's not. It's but it's a different origin. That the movement uh, that you're talking about is transhumanism. Not transgender but transhumanism. And yes, they do want to create a new a new species and they're they're saying that we can use the most avant garde technologies to do precisely that. We can make we can change the the germ cells in a body, um, which which alters the the, um, the DNA transmission from one generation to another. Um, we can they have all sorts of technologies, such as freezing bodies after death and reviving them later, presumably. Uh, but they but that is what they're trying to
6: do. <laughs>
0: Well, my, my co-host happens to be my husband behind me and said that all they want to do is build some slaves. That's an interesting point, you know, because they do want to control society. And they, the only way they can line their pockets is if we keep them in power. And I think power is the ultimate goal of all these people. You know, when you anticipate your book coming out, uh, Transcend- Transcending Misandry from Feminist Ideology to Intersexual Dialogue, do you have a release date for you and Catherine Young? Do I have a what? A release date for your book that you and Catherine Young are writing together.
5: Um, no, no, we don't. The book is written. Uh, I'm not sure when it's going to come out because uh, there are various, various problems. Um, anyway, the book is written, however, so it comes out. And there's another book also that's it, been written. So the, the series eventually will have six volumes. Four have
0: been published so far. Fantastic. Fantastic. People can find your books up on Amazon, Dr. Paul Nathanson. want to thank you for joining us. There's so much more to talk about this issue, so we definitely have to have you back on um, because it, it really scares me to see where our youth today are heading, and it is a contagion, and unless we wake up, we're going to lose a whole generation of our youth forever. Thank you for the hard work you do, Dr. Paul. Thank you so much.
5: Thank you.
0: Bye-bye. All right. Check him out, Dr. Paul Nathanson, up on Amazon. And we've got our final victim of the day. I want to welcome, he he is with the Heritage Action for America, which is a sister arm of the Heritage Foundation, Noah Weinrich. Good afternoon, Noah. How are you today?
8: Hi there. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing well.
0: All right. I have to apologize. There seems to be a problem with the with the website that's hosting our shows, so sometimes the uh, sound fades in or out. It's not you, it's not us. We got we got trolls in the air.
5: <laughs> oh, no problem. Tell us,
0: tell us about the Heritage um, Action. W- what do you guys do?
8: So, as you said, we are a sister organization, a partner organization to the Heritage Foundation, uh, and I'm sure many of your Listeners will know Heritage Foundation. Uh, hopefully, they know Heritage Action as well. We are the um, the policy, or we are the advocacy and grassroots partner organization. So we have an army of 20,000 sentinels all across America, and those are our dedicated grassroots volunteers who work to help advance the policies of the Heritage Foundation. Um, they're the folks on the ground, um, you know, going to the party meetings, calling their legislators. Um, really holding their legislators accountable to, you know, conservative policies. Because as you know, uh, not everybody in Washington, even who claims to like these policies, is really willing to get them done without some grassroots pressure. So we, we really work closely with those grassroots and we do lobbying up in Washington to help hold lawmakers accountable and to help ensure that uh, conservative policies get through on Capitol Hill.
0: Well, you know, on the website, you I was poking around on it and having fun with it last night. It's a really good website. And you post the issues nice. uh, and if people want to get involved, which they can pick an issue and then get involved with you. But what I loved was the scorecard. And I've got to tell you, oh, yeah. my my two state senators are Tim Scott and, as I call him, Lamezy Gramnesty. <laughs> you know how much <laughs> I love it. <laughs> actually oh, yeah, okay. on a non-spot in his office because I've challenged him on so many things. Now, Tim Scott, I love him. He is really a sweet guy. He's got a 96% scorecard. That's pretty darn high. And I looked at Graham. Graham is down at 66%. Uh, he's got a very close race coming on here in this state. And we may lose that seat to actually someone who is a communist. Now, that's scary. This is why things like this are very important, why we have to hold our elected officials, their feet to the fire, because with a 66% scorecard, how many people are not going to even vote on that line?
8: That's a great question, um, and that's why we urge everyone in Washington uh, to you know listen to their grassroots, listen to their uh, conservative folks. I think some people in Washington get this idea that if they're too conservative, um, if they stick too close to their principles, then they're going to lose voters. And uh, we think that the opposite is correct. You know What you've seen in uh, Senate, race, Senate races especially is the, the folks who stick to their principles, um, who follow through, are actually the ones uh, who get the most votes. You know, In 2016, uh, people said that President Trump was too aggressive on immigration, for instance. And that's probably won in the race. I think if President Trump had backed down on immigration, he probably would have lost to Hillary. Uh, And so our scorecard is actually helping these legislators. You know, look, our goal is not to get these people elected; it's to make sure they do their jobs. But it has it helps them, I think.
0: Oh, absolutely. And matter of fact, I have to send an email out to the members of my Tea Party. Believe it or not, we're still standing 11 years later and still active. as well as I'm active in my local GAP, and I'm going to be sending links to your website out to them and telling them to get on it and, and take a look at the issues out there that you guys are working on. Um, one of the things you have on there is you're, you've got something new going on, two things, called the Fight for America and Police Pledge. Now, on this past Saturday, I don't know if Tom told you, we had here in my town, my county, a Back the Blue and First Responders rally. We had approximately 200 or more people. And I proudly was wearing my T-shirt that said, never underestimate a retired law enforcement officer with, I'm putting it on so that people can see in the camera, which is up on Facebook, my NYPD ball cap. So we were out there telling our local law enforcement that, hey, we may be retired, but we're still backing you. We may be just a plain old citizen, but we're out there backing you. So you've got people that are signing this Back to Blue, uh, a pledge here that's on your website.
8: That's right, um, and thank you for standing with us. Thank you for going to that rally. Um, I think now more than ever, our law enforcement officers need to know that we as citizens and uh, leaders in Washington have their backs. Um, you know, Now is a time of a lot of violence, um, a lot of violence towards police officers, um, but we want them to know that we support them. Uh, that's why we launched the police pledge. It's policepledge.com, and I would urge all of your listeners to go sign the pledge. Uh, the police pledge is essentially for leaders and for citizens. It, uh, it promises that anyone who, it, who signs it will promise that they will never defund the police. They will never support any bill that, that defunds the police they will oppose any effort to go against our law enforcement. So I would urge every listener to go sign policepledge.com and call up your legislators. Tell them to get on it. Go sign policepledge.com.
0: Well, actually, I'm looking at the only two governors, which I'm really surprised because I'm going to send this up to uh, Henry McMaster's, was Nikki Haley and Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia. And That's very interesting. You've only got four senators, uh, David Perdue out of Georgia. Kelly Laffer, who's also out of Georgia, uh, Mark Franchetti out of New Mexico, and Cynthia Loomis in Wyoming. And I think Cynthia Loomis, her seat is pretty tight at this point. You do have 39 members of House, and last night to today, you have almost an additional 1,000 citizens signing from when I looked at it last night to right now. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's Yeah, it's that's
8: right. We're, we're seeing tremendous citizen support and you know this pledge launched in the last two weeks uh, we're getting signers on every day um, you know all those governors and senators signed within the last week so it's really rapidly heating up uh, we have some exciting signers pay attention on Monday we'll have uh, some big announcements then um, some other prominent folks you've heard of are going to be signing soon so keep an eye out for that um, and look you know if more citizens sign up you know state officials congressmen governors senators are going to take notice Um, as we saw in georgia uh last friday kemp signed on and leffler signed on then doug collins immediately followed suit and then purdue followed suit so you'll see a cascading effect you know once a couple people sign up uh, then everybody in the state is going to realize we need to get on this and support our police uh and if they see that thousands of constituents from their state have signed up that's going to be an indication to officials they need to get on it uh And, you know, that's the power of the grassroots. That's what we do here at Heritage Action. Um, We help conservatives who we know there's, you know, tens of millions of us throughout the nation. We help give them a voice and help legislators hear those.
0: Yeah, uh, we do have pictures of our rally up on our. Uh, Buford Tea Party website. I did not host the rally. Let me just make that perfectly clear. I only assisted in the publicity, Uh, but there should be I believe Buford MAGA may have the pictures up also. They may have more than I, but they sent me some, so I posted it up on our website. So if anyone wants to go to my show page, Southern Sense, put a dash middle. There's a link to the Buford Tea Party over there. We can look at the the pictures. I don't look my best, but considering it was a long hard day, (laughs) And even, believe it or not, uh, Noah, my 88-year-old mother, God bless her, born on the 4th of July, came out to the rally, too. She wore um, a pro-choice T-shirt. And there she is with the little walker with her pro-life T-shirt, wagging her fingers at the protesters across the street that were Black Lives Matter. And she's pointing to her T-shirt, like, all lives matter. These lives matter. (laughs) So I come from Mm -hmm. good stock. It's in my DNA. (laughs)
8: Good for her. That is okay. impressive for an eight you know, a woman in her eighties. Good for her. We need more ma- or more women like her.
0: A matter of fact, she's a stroke victim and the fact that she's on a walker is just a blessing. But you have some of the other tools up on your website under Heritage Action. Now tell me about the coronavirus legislation toolkit because uh my county here just extended the mandatory face masks and I, I've written to them uh constantly saying, Listen, Not everyone can wear them due to medical conditions. Unfortunately, I'm one of those. So you're violating the HIPAA Act. You're violating the Americans with Disabilities Act. And people like me are being denied access to services and goods because they're passing resolutions and legislations that go against our Constitution and our laws.
8: Yeah, I would urge everybody to go to heritageaction.com. check out that issues section, uh, go to our coronavirus legislation toolkit. Uh, we have a ton of resources there. We have ways that you can take action. You can get in touch with your congressman. Um, you know, we are a national organization, so we're not, you know, we're not engaging in those state level fights. Um, but those are critically important as well. And everybody should take the time not only to um, know what the issues are. And as you know, there are too many people in this country who have no idea what's really happening, But everybody needs to first educate themselves and second, get involved, you know, talk to those state level legislatures. As we've seen this year, states are the ones making the really important decisions. It's the governors, it's the legislatures, it's the mayors. You know, Congress is in gridlock, so it's going to come down to the governors um, and, you know, people need to hold them accountable.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and that's what we have to do. You know, I I pull up the facts, I pull up the statistics, and I, I put them out there, which is what you do at the Heritage Act Action. You've got better access than you know, little old me. But we do have to get a hold of our officials. And I said, all politics start at the local level. Whether it's the door catcher, your council member, um, your state uh, and legislator, your state senator, your governor. These people, as they advance in their political career, climb the ladder until they end up on the federal level. And we've got to get a hold of them now, don't we?
8: That's exactly right. Um, you need to know who your uh, representatives are. I think too many in this, too many people in this country don't actually know who their – first of all, their congressman is, but then their state representative or their state senator. You know, those uh, – those decisions are just as important if not more for your daily life than what the federal government decides to do. Um, you know, take education. Uh, the federal government has too much involvement in, uh, education as it is, but the really important decisions are being made by your school boards. As you're seeing now, um, school boards across the country are taking children hostage, essentially telling them you're not allowed to go back to school or you have to sit at home, uh, you know, watch hours on hours of internet class, even if you don't have internet. Um, And if you didn't vote for your school board last election, you don't have a say in that. Um, And so that's why people need to know who their school board is. They need to get involved in those campaigns. They need to reach out. Uh, I think the coronavirus crisis is proving that local politics matters more than ever.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I got to tell you, on the county level here, um, we did get very, very active. We actually turned the school board over. We have ousted two school superintendents and finally got one in here who is wonderful. So, you know, people realize, well, I don't have kids in school, so what the heck do I care? Well, you are paying taxes that go into the school district. Take a look at your property tax. And most states use your property tax to fund education, whether it's your vehicle, your boat, your home, your business. These are property taxes that are collected, goes into your school district. That's your money. And then when you wonder why your taxes on your home is going up, look at the millage rate and where it's being allotted to. These are things that people don't pay attention to, do they, Noah?
8: No, they absolutely don't. Um, and part of that is the, you know, the news media. Everybody's focused on what's happening on uh, CNN or what's happening on Fox, what is MSNBC saying. But you know, they're not reading their, uh, their local paper. They're not listening to local news programs, uh, local talk radio um, you know, people need to talk to their neighbors, you know, figure out what's going on, figure out why their property taxes are doubling. Um, you know, I'm going up to New Jersey this weekend and I, my, uh, my <laughs> wife's parents are from New Jersey. Yeah. Thank you. My wife's parents are from New Jersey and their property taxes are absurd. It's just, it's insane. Um, you know, they're trying to do something about it, but it's tough when so many people in New Jersey don't care or want even hire taxes.
0: I still got a lot of family in the Jersey area. My mom is from Jersey, so that's what I'm saying. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you. What is going on in New York, New Jersey, the tri-state area is absolutely horrific, especially with this response to the COVID virus, dumping um, COVID patients into nursing homes, very poorly equipped to even handle them. Uh, I have a dear friend of mine. uh, He used to walk me to school, uh, lost his his, his father-in-law. And then his mother or something, it was one or the other. He lost two of his parents, one in-law and one parent, in, within a short period of time. And I'm hearing that story over and over and over again. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the Fox News uh, host that lost her, her parents, her in-law. believe. I mean. Yeah. Yes, thanks, Janice Dean. And she was supposed to testify uh, in court about the situation, and they denied her access. They took other people, but no one that went through what she went through. Uh, So even then, we're not even hearing the full story our politicians are telling us. And they're denying us access in which to contact them with. And this is where we've got to put our foot down. No, you work for us. We elected you. Now you hear our voice. But we're too afraid to do that.
8: Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, This is why people need to. Uh, hold the politicians accountable. Um, you know, I, I live in DC. I talk to congressional staffers and they really do pay attention. You know, they have, you know, an absurd number of callers, but they keep spreadsheets. Um, and when enough people call them about an issue, they really take notice. Um, they'll realize that, Oh, we have to get on this bill or we, you know, we can't support this bill based on what their constituents are telling them. Uh, so even if you don't, if you, even if you get a voicemail or don't get an email back, they're listening. Um, you know, just call back again, and eventually it'll it'll do something.
0: Absolutely, and people don't realize, as you said, these congressional members do keep a sheet. They know when you called and what issue you called on. Um, we were outside uh, Joe Cunningham's office uh, when the impeachment process was going on. You know, I still have my sign behind me, if anyone looks – I don't know if you can see it, but uh, I have it for Birke and Joe. <laughs> impeachment, vote, no. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you caught it, but there is a commercial up on YouTube. And, oh, man, I have, I, I, I called Nancy Mace's office and I, I sent them a link to it. He makes fun of the fact he attempted to bring beer, uh, two six-packs of beer, onto the floor of the house, which is a huge no, where he got the nickname Beer Can Joe. His commercial, he talks about that in the first part of the commercial. He does his rigmarole about being anti-drilling. Or oil drilling uh, when he's getting huge money from the oil industry. And at the end, he picks up a glass of beer and goes, cheers. And oh my God, I almost fell out of my Archie bunker chair. To <laughs> see that commercial. Now, Nancy May, your staff is going to have to use this commercial on <laughs> Beer Can Joe. <laughs> and unseat we'll have them. to look into it. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, just do um, uh, Google up on uh, uh, YouTube. Joe Cunningham and beer, and it'll pop up.
8: That <laughs> yeah, will do. Oh
6: man,
0: you know it—it it, it is so great to hear the youth getting so involved, and that's what we need. We need more young people to get more involved in politics. And I—I I know you had to watch the entire convention, didn't you?
8: Um, I watched as much of it as I could. Um, you know, the, I feel like these conventions are. Stretching longer and longer, um, but I, I certainly tuned into uh, President Trump's speech last night, um, I've followed the highlights the whole week. Um, it was really a, a tremendous event. Um, I thought that uh, the president hit the, all the right notes. Um, you know, he hit the things that got him elected four years ago, and I think we're going to see a lot of those same dynamics play out this year. Uh, you know, I don't I don't know what's going to happen, but uh and Jackson, actually, if you visit our website, we have a series of battleground polls. Um, showing that in the swing states the race is a dead heat, um, and that was a few weeks ago. And you know, after the RNC, I think we'll see a bump for the president. Uh, but we also did some polling showing that uh, in the four swing states we polled—Florida, Arizona, uh, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin—79% uh, of respondents. Now these are likely voters from Democrats and Republicans. 79% of respondents oppose defunding the police. Now this is an issue that a lot of democrats have supported. Um Kamala Harris has refused to oppose it. Joe Biden has said he opposes it, but he doesn't really. Uh but 79% of uh voters in crucial swing states oppose it. Most of those strongly. And this is what makes me think that if if conservatives run and show that the left really does want to defund the police, but they want to attack our law enforcement, um there's no, you know, We'll we'll win in November. Um, it's not only about winning in November. It's about enacting conservative policy after that. But I think if folks stand up and show that we are willing to support the police and that the left doesn't support the police, I think America is going to wake up to what's really going on.
0: Well, you know, what I'm bored is I saw a statistic uh, last night. I was putting my notes together that since this pandemic and this Black Lives Matter Antifa riots started, Five million Americans became new gun owners. Five million. Um, I don't think it's going to be a close Trump vote. I think it's going to be, as I've been calling it the last couple of months, a ballot box revolution.
8: Yeah, I mean, you may see see the same thing in 2016, where uh, people are are uh, you know, there's where there's a substantial portion or you know, a few percent who aren't sure when they go into the ballot box or who haven't made the positions known, um, but are going to go in there and think about what we've seen this summer um, or we've seen this year and pull the lever for conservative candidates. Just, you know, realize that the other side is dangerous and that uh, conservatives are the only ones who actually support law enforcement these days. You know, in recent decades, even in my memory, Democrats supported police, you know, you support the military, you support uh, families, you, kiss the babies on the campaign trail and you support police. It was just basic politics on from either party, but now one side isn't allowed to support the police at all, which is
5: absurd.
0: You know, um, I was telling the audience earlier when we had our rally on Saturday, there was a counter rally across the street, you know, defund the police, black lives matter, la la la. And it was run by this group, United America or something or other. And it was a local kid that was running it. Um, he crossed over the street, and they had like about 25 people. We had about 200, and he started to weave through our crowd. I think he was looking to agitate, to cause a problem. And you know, a couple of us approached, and says, "Listen, we don't have a problem. You know, let's have a conversation here." And in the end, when I started talking to him, I says, "Listen, when you defund the police, you get less police in the community working with you." So you're not going to have drugs coming up in here because you're going to be able to tell us, Hey, listen, something strange has been going on over here. Maybe you want to check it out and we can keep your community safe. And that way we know you and you know us and feel comfortable when you you do need us. Oh, it's called community policing. You defund that, you take that tool away. You're having a large problem now because you've cut the police budget here in the County. Yeah. You have room for reform because as the community grows, The police methods must reform, you know, must adapt to the increase in population and the new communities rising. But when you defund it, you take that away and we can't help you. So you're better off increasing our funding, encouraging more community policing and more interaction with community leaders and police. That's true reform. Do you know what? He walked away because you're right. You've got it right. We have a common cause, but what we have to do is take out that other annoying conversation that's going on with the black lives matter movement and the antifa movement If we can get that noise out of the way uh we got we got a good situation here don't we noah
8: yeah i think so um you know the, the it really is a a radical and loud minority that is pushing these messages that is going out and you know rioting on the streets and a lot of americans really don't agree you know they do support the police um, you know no matter their political persuasion but they are afraid to speak up because they've been watching you know the media which is you know the mouthpiece of this vocal minority uh, but they haven't been talking to their neighbors who all think like them who all agree that you know law and order and safety and security are essential for our families for our communities that's not really a radical thing Um, that's not even necessarily a conservative thing that's just an American thing um, and I think if people, you know, look at our polls on Heritage Action's website, they'll see that, you know, they're not alone. Most, peop- most ordinary, reasonable Americans uh, agree that police are important for our safety. Um, and that's why we need people signing up at policepledge.com. Um, the more people we get, the more people will realize um, how many, that they're not alone. Many of their, na- you know, almost all of their neighbors agree with them and support the police. And our police are going to realize that they're not alone that America has their back, Um, and we'll be able to see what politicians have and haven't stood up for our police and our law enforcement and signed that pledge. So for every listener out there, uh, please go to policepledge.com, sign the pledge, share about it on social media, uh, ask your legislators to sign on as well. Uh, This is such an important year, um, and this is such an important cause.
0: Oh, that it is. it's is a huge amen on that one. Noah, people can find you on heritageaction.com. Um, they can also find the pledge up there, uh, heritageaction.com, I saw, uh, backslash uh, police pledge also over there. Okay. And I welcome you back onto the show anytime. Um, it is a pleasure speaking with you, and I always have fun working with Heritage Foundation, always.
8: Of course. Well, it's great to be on the show. Thank you for having me on. I would love to come back again.
0: All right. Keep up the good work, and God bless, Noah. Have a great afternoon. Thank
8: you. You too. Have a good one.
0: All right. Check, you too. Check it out, com and heritage.org. Uh, check out the website. Uh, we will be back here on Friday. Um, I don't know if Curtis will be with me. Otherwise, I'm going to take the ball and chain behind me, <laughs> my husband, poor Yanni. So to say. <laughs> you got to talk into the microphone and lean close to it. Uh, it is on. It yeah, is I've on. I've got
3: a lot to say.
0: <laughs>
5: <laughs> You're get me Come on, let me talk.
0: <laughs> yes, dear. Uh, we. <laughs> uh, oh, it's
5: hard to kill, Kurt. It's a shoot, you know. <laughs>
6: <laughs> All
0: right. Well, next week we're going to have uh, Kurt Schlichter on uh, he's an author and columnist. I know there was a couple of people that asked me what time they're going to be on next Friday, and I forget who I talked to. But I'll get that page up as soon as I can. want to thank you, everyone, that showed up in our chat room here on Blog Talk Radio, listening in WCET uh, Radio. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Doug and uh, Michael, I didn't play any promos because I got so tied up. See what happens but I don't have Curtis with me. Uh, and those that were over on Facebook, thank you for your input, your comments. Uh, deeply appreciate it. Uh, but that's all I got for now. Um, I do. Oh, you know, Curtis, we miss you.
3: <laughs>
0: yes, we do, Curtis. We do miss you. And I, I'm looking for, uh, not, that's not what I wanted. I'm looking for our closing song. And where the heck is, is it? Ah, I, ah, man, I don't know what happened to the closing song. I was looking for Gary Picarella, and he for some reason... He's not here. Now that sucks. You messed around with my music. Near it. <laughs> well, anyway, I'll just do it when the roll is called up yonder. So until then, I'm going to say good night and God bless. <laughs>